0: Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm Poppy. And you're listening to Every Romcom, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedy
1: seriously. This week on Every Romcom, we're beginning our musical series with a classic romantic comedy musical from the 1930s. We'll talk about the early years of the movie musical and how an iconic duo
2: defined the style of the modern musical.
0: And we'll tie up our white ties and brush off our tails as we explore the 1935 Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers musical Top Hat. Hello Sophia. Hi Jen, how are you? I'm doing great. And I'm and I'm doing even greater because today we're also talking to Poppy from Confessions of a Closet Romantic again. Hello Poppy. Hi. Glad to
2: be here.
0: Yeah, we talked with Poppy previously, Sybil and I did, on our episode number 52 on White Christmas, which was another yeah. musical.
2: So I'm typecasting mm-hmm. you, Poppy. Oh, I bring it on because I can go on for ages about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to have you for the musical series. And Sophia, I believe you're the one who suggested that we do a musical series. Oh, yeah, because musicals are the best. Musicals every time, all day long, yes. Yes. So it seems clear that both of you like musicals a lot. So, like, oh. when did you start kind of watching them? Do you remember like how old mm. you were
2: or like your first musicals that you experienced? I remember very clearly. I mean, I was I was the dork musical theater dork in high school, and I I was watching them at age fourteen, fifteen. I mean, everybody else was I don't know doing E. T., Star Wars. I did that too, but I said this last time. I was also watching these movies on late night TV. I couldn't get enough of them. Yeah. Any early favorites that you remember? Well, thank you for asking, Jen. Cary Grant, and I'll talk about him anytime I'm asked, (laughs) is my favorite classic Hollywood actor of all time. So I always tried to catch his movies. But honestly, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were my first classic um, Hollywood movie love affair. I loved every movie I ever saw with them in it. So I'm just so happy to be here to talk about them. Wow. Mm.
0: Yeah, I and and it. I I am the person who had only seen a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie when we started planning for this musical <gasps> series. Yeah, and I'm so glad shut that your I, mouth, yeah, well, no, shut it's the truth. I had seen Fred Astaire in uh, Holiday Inn, and I'd seen Fred Astaire in um, uh, was Funny Face. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'd never seen any of the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers movies except like you know as clips. You know, because you were mm. always seeing clips of you know the scene from Top Hat, cheek to cheek. But I'm so glad that I finally did. But like my, I, w- I was watching musicals though, from like being like a small kid, like four or five, probably I was watching Singing in the Rain, um, yeah. *The Music Man, The Sound of Music, which is my absolute all time favorite oh. movie. Yeah. Like, so yeah. they were always part of my life. And i at one point, my aunt gave me a tape of this, the the Broadway version of My Fair Lady. And I swear oh. to God, oh. I memorized probably that entire musical, at least the songs. Oh.
2: Like I could probably still do the whole Just You White, Henry Higgins with oh. like a Cockney accent. Oh. The whole Oh, <laughs> this is awesome plus you experienced julie in the role yes, and that's yes. like a big deal <laughs> so yeah. yeah
0: i was a musicals nerd but it hadn't really occurred to me to like kind of make a musical series until sophia i'm sure it was you and maybe sybil must too. have been yes maybe sybil yeah. too was suggesting we did musicals so sophia what's your what's your deal with musicals when did you start loving them and what were your early kind of so, favorites i feel
1: like probably one of the earliest ones was like annie you know in the early 80s of course okay I was obsessed with Annie too how did I even forget that yes Annie the Wizard of Oz later on Sound of Music sure. at Grease I was watching Mm Grease when I was little like totally (laughs) inappropriate content for like a six (laughs) or seven year old but that was my jam and probably like just for like old time's sake like it is probably one of my top Favorite musicals ever, like John Travolta. Yeah, gentlemen, oh oh, God. So, bad. I I love a musical. I studied theater. I was a, I was a quote unquote straight actor, which means not musical theater. But I <laughs> love musical theater, and I wish I could sing oh. so that I could be. <laughs>
2: Love, yeah, Aww. and Poppy, you yeah. said you were so you were in musicals or like. Oh, you're looking at Ado Annie in Oklahoma junior Yay! year of high school. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was, I was heavy into it. One of my favorite shows in the 70s was A Chorus Line, and I just so oh, related yes. to those dreams of being on Broadway. It was like a big thing for me for quite a while. So. Yeah, I love it. A movie can be cheesy. It's all get out. Uh, you know, just any kind of show busy movie. I'm kind of all over it. I love it.
0: All right. Very oh, nice. Yeah. Well, we're going to be covering a wide variety of musicals in our musicals series. It hasn't been completely finalized yet, but you should be looking forward to seeing at least um, On the Town xanadu Mm. mama Mm. mia in the heights and hairspray um, probably a few more too just assuming we have time for them yeah these were chosen as a like a a selection of sort of like some of our my co hosts favorite musicals that like Mm -hmm. i also watched and i was like okay that'd work that'd work
1: i would also say that like there's you know this is criteria it has to be uh, a romantic comedy as well there are true, lots of musicals true. that are not mm. that um right. that i might even like count as favorites so but having mm. to narrow it down for our yeah, yeah. thing yeah, you it's know true. It, so just throwing that out there absolutely Important great point. absolutely great point we can't really
0: be having les Mis, like even though <laughs> right we're, right
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly
0: So Poppy, just while we're here, I just want to also give you a chance to let some people know, like, what are some recent or upcoming shows that you're doing on Confessions of a Closet Romantic that people can look out for? Well,
2: I'm not a show that covers, you know, the latest releases all the time. Sometimes I do. But for some reason, the Joe Wright version of Anna Karenina with Keira Knightley just came across my radar. And I got very excited about that. And so I'm going to look at it through the lens of being an ethical slut versus maybe not being an ethical Ah. slut. Look at that book. And then I'm going to be looking at Book shop or book centered romance, which is oh. like I used to work in book publishing, so that's like a big deal. Ooh. I love that topic, and then also time travel romance. Oh yeah, we did those. Yes. only yes. we did those. go back and redo the dumb things we said and did, you know, like <laughs> that to me, like sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow to me is a perfect yes. example of that. Yeah, so that's that's on my on my little list. What yeah. fun, right? Uh, yeah,
0: that's funny. Sliding Doors is one that kept coming up. I think it's Sophia's double feature, usually in our yeah. time travel series, but we oh. didn't we didn't end up covering that in our time travel series. So that's interesting.
2: Wait, when did you all do your time travel? Oh, wait, what was that? Like last fall or something? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We did okay. a lot of cool movies. Yeah. <laughs> I got to look that up. Isn't it funny? It's, sometimes it's just in the zeitgeist. It's just like things that just intrigue mm-hmm. you as a romance yeah. podcaster. Yeah, I love that.
0: For sure, for sure. So Poppy, also like, uh, where can people find your work? And like, would you would you like to invite them to your social media? What your socials? Or I, would you like
2: them to stay away from your socials? <laughs> no, this is what I want to say to everyone listening. Please come and talk on Twitter. Jennifer's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I just love it. It's problematic lately, but it's still a great place to connect. And my handle there is Poppy underscore confesses and people can find my show at Confessions of com. And
0: I encourage you to go and find Poppy's show. It's a great show. She's got like so Thank much you. like such a wide variety of topics and she covers them with so much compassion and emotion and passion mm-hmm. and just like curiosity about the world. And so I think you'll really appreciate her show too. Thank you. And then so before we get started today, um, a few notes, First, as usual, there will be a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will warn you when the
1: spoilers are about to begin. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at
0: EveryRomcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at EveryRomcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And now we're going to listen to a part of a fan-made trailer for Top Hat created by the YouTube channel Laurel Shorten, which we will link to in the show notes. We're using this trailer because a lot of the older trailers did not have a lot of voiceover or dialogue. And this is an audio podcast. (laughs) So just to give you something to actually grip onto with this movie, we're going to play this fan-made trailer that I'm really glad exists out there. So let's give it a listen.
3: fly down to Italy for a weekend. (laughs) I can't, I haven't got any goggles. Oh my word, Jerry, you have to go, she's counting on us. You see, she's going to have a young friend visit her. I suspect there's something in the air. You know Madge and her matchmaking proclivities. Whoa, is she expecting me for a weekend or a wedding? Well, can't tell, you know how wives are. No, I don't, how are they? Horace! How do you do? Madge! Darling! my 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 your passion frightens me I dropped up from the room below where I've been trying to get some sleep. I didn't realize I was disturbing you. You see, every once in a while I, I suddenly find myself dancing. peek Stop this cab at once. In dealing with a girl or horse, one just lets nature take its course. Let the rain patter patter but it really doesn't matter if the stars are gray. long as I can be with you, it's a lovely day.
1: All right, there's our fan made trailer. I appreciate mm. it. Mm hmm. <laughs> well, Top Hat came out August 29th, 1935, and it's directed by Mark Sandridge written by Dwight Taylor and Alan Scott. And of course, it's starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Additionally, Edward Everett Horton, Eric Rhodes, Eric Blore, and Helen Broderick. And the lyrics and music are by Irving Berlin. So
2: the basic premise of this movie, and I want you all to understand, this is a kind of farce and a screwball <laughs> comedy, so bear with us. Okay, Fred Astaire's character, Jerry Travers, is in London and set to appear in his friend Horace Hardwick's new musical. And after the musical's premiere, Horace wants Jerry to meet his wife's friend in Venice, Italy. He says, my wife is a bit of a matchmaker. You understand. Okay. so Ginger Rogers' character, the friend, Dale Tremont, is also staying in London, though, and being taken care of financially by her friend, Italian designer Alberto Benini. But soon she'll leave to meet her friend Madge, also in Venice. So Jerry, one night, is tap dancing in Horace's hotel room and he wakes up Dale, who's trying to sleep in the room below. When she comes upstairs, in a fury to complain, Jerry falls instantly in love, naturally, and begins pursuing her. Jerry begins to win Dale's heart, but their romance is thwarted when Dale comes to believe that Jerry is actually her friend Madge's husband. Jerry, Dale, Horace, Madge, Bedini, and Horace's valet Bates all eventually end up in Italy, where comic misunderstandings and romance continue. Yeah, I just I hear the plot and I'm
0: like, I want to watch it all over again. I love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm a convert. Well, we'll talk. We'll save that for general opinion. So there's a lot of interesting facts about the film, but I'll try to limit it to like what I think are maybe some of the best and most interesting facts or, or at least the basic ones that we want to introduce you to. So as many people already know, but maybe not everybody, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were a famous acting duo who appeared in 10 musicals together. Most of them in the 1930s and nine out of 10 of them were with RKO. They are best known for their dancing But they also introduced many famous songs to movie audiences, including A Fine Romance, Let's Call the Whole Thing Off, Let's Face the Music and Dance, Night and Day, The Way You Look Tonight, and They Can't Take That Away From Me. So some of these were originally in like Broadway musicals, but others were actually literally appeared in film the first time. So Top Hat was the fourth of their movies together, and it was the first movie that was specifically written for them to star in. Their first picture together was Flying Down to Rio in 1933, and they were just like supporting actors in that one. And then their other two movies, The Gay Force and Roberta, were adaptations of stage shows. So even though the Top Hat script was original, it did kind of include elements from those other movies. Um, like in Roberta, there's a fashion designer character and like Ginger Rogers, like models clothes. And the movie also shares a theme of mistaken identity And many of the same supporting actors from the gate of Orsay. So like, I can see like some people at the time were like, oh, this is just a retread of the gate of Orsay. But I think there's enough like substantial differences to make them their own movies. Top Hat began filming April 1st, 1935, premiering August 29th, 1935 at Radio City Music Hall. It cost $620,000 to make, which I think at the time must have been a lot. I don't know. Mm. Doesn't that yeah. sound like it would have been a lot in the yeah. 30s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And it, but it eventually made, it grossed $3 million, so it did pay off. And it was RKO's highest grossing movie of the entire 1930s, and the second highest grossing movie of 1935 after Mutiny on the Bounty. Mm-hmm. Additionally, all five of the songs from the soundtrack became like top hits, and they were all charting at one point at the same time. Top Hat was also critically well-regarded. It was nominated for Best Picture, Art Direction, Original Song, and Dance Direction at the Oscars. But it didn't win. But, I mean, it continues to be regarded as one of the top musicals of all time today. Like, it's a beloved film. And, you know, there's going to be a... I'm going to tell you a lot of reasons you should see this coming up. But, like, that's one of the reasons you should see it. It's just part of our film history. Okay, and yeah, now we're in general opinion. So, yeah. So Mm -hmm. let's, so yeah, let's go ahead and like, let's talk about like, when did you first see this film? Like, what was your impression of it? Like, have you watched it over the years? And how do you feel about it
2: now? I, I think I've seen this film you know regularly since I was around 14 15 years old and I think when I was younger I just got suckered into the glamour of it mm. and there was just something I was um, an aspiring I was a musical comedy aspiring actress and I did take dance lessons and I think I'll, I took tap lessons kind of oh, disastrously okay. in a at a park uh, growing up in Chicago and realized very quickly oh this is a lot harder than it looks, and I remember just being really disappointed by that. I think it was like 14 years old, and so I really always had such respect for Fred Astaire, especially, but also the partnership of Fred Astaire and Jimmy Rogers. So for me, this is a lifelong love affair with the two of of these beautiful people.
0: Nice, very nice. Yeah. And Aww. is it your is it your favorite of them, or do you have others that you might mention later that are more favorite?
2: I have, like, I would say a top three in mm-hmm. their canon, and this would definitely be up there. Okay, very good, very good. Sophia, how about your interaction with this film?
1: You know, I don't know if I had seen the whole thing before, but I feel like definite, definitely clips. You know, we talked about that, seeing so many clips of these yeah um, films, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. musicals, like the best of Hollywood musical numbers or whatever, and yeah. watching those things. Recently, you know, for the podcast was my most recent viewing of this film all the way through. And, and I enjoyed it very much.
0: For for me, this, like I said, this is probably my first interaction with an Astaire Rogers movie, at least that I'm conscious of. And I, and I will say the first time I watched it through, I was like annoyed by Fred Astaire in the early scenes. Like he was being so stalkery and obnoxious and like, and then I and I, and I was like, didn't quite catch on at first to the whole tone and the mood of the thing. And I was like mm-hmm. viewing it, I think too much through the sort of modern lenses. But then yes. I started watching like more of the films and then I went back to it and like these films for me get better the more you watch of them and the more you watch like the tropes play out and especially like I love the ones that have Edward Everett Horton and Eric Bloor in them because their comic stuff to me is just as good as the dancing like the dancing I love and like the cheek to cheek number in this movie is absolutely in my opinion transcendent like one of the best scenes I've ever seen in any movie period but then like this comedy just gets funnier and funnier like I will like I watched it back like a third time and I was catching Jokes that I hadn't caught the previous times. Mm. I was like, "Oh, uh-huh. that's an illusion there." Like, <laughs> <Yep>. uh-huh. <laughs> so, that happened to me as well. <laughs> there's a, there's so many naughty illusions yeah. in this movie. Yeah, and it's fantastic, yeah. and and they just play off each other so well. And mm-hmm. like the things that are heightened, like I'm accepting them for what they are now, rather than trying yeah. to like plug them into the kind of 2023. Kind of a little bit cynical, a little bit wanting everything to reflect real life a little too much. Like, it's kind of a nice escape to go back to these black and white movies where things were a little bit playful and over the top, honestly. Like, it's kind of fun. I don't know. You do have to kind of, like, t- like meet this movie where it is. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you meet the movie where it is, and I swear, if you watch a few of them in a row, you start to catch on to the language of it. And yeah. if you mm-hmm. and if you watch it for the aesthetic aspects too, like the art direction, the mm. cinematography, and just the pure artistry of the dancing, like you can get mm-hmm. so much out of these films. So yeah, uh, you didn't even mention the costumes.
2: Oh, I yeah, mean, the costumes too. fashion, you'd Oof. be like, ah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: I'm not a costume girl. Like, I, I appreciate them. And, and we'll talk about one of the iconic costumes from this movie later in the show. But like, but yeah, those are noticeable too, but I'm just, I'm just noticing just like the film geek stuff that like, even mm-hmm. like some bro film nerd could appreciate, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Nope.
0: <laughs> bro film nerd, we like that. I mean, no offense to any of the many wonderful guys who have appeared on our podcast. I don't consider them in that camp, but there's <laughs> no, definitely guys who feel like they're kind of above certain genres, right? So, like, Oh, yeah. Yes. But there's something for them here, too, if they would only if they would only look. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: All
0: right. Anything else we want to say about general opinion before we move on to the cast and crew?
2: I don't know. Can I say I love this movie again? Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, I had not really watched many movies with Fred Astaire before tackling this uh, project for our podcast. So I had to learn all about Fred Astaire. And I was, like, pleasantly surprised by what a kind of interesting, like, kind of guy he was. Mm -hmm. So he was born in 1899 in Omaha, Nebraska. His original name was Frederick Osterlitz, which I'm only telling you because I think Osterlitz is a cool last name. So Mm -hmm. that's it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, He began performing really early. He began studying dance at age four. And then he began performing with his older sister Adele in 1906, and in addition to dancing, he learned to play the piano, accordion, and the clarinet. And I guess his father had lost his job at one point. So he and his sister were actually kind of making money for the family while mm. they were growing up. Yeah, which is pretty wild. Mm. There's, if you look at the Wikipedia page too, there's a really like fun, old, old-timey picture of him and his sister in their vaudeville
2: costumes. I have wow. seen that, she was beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're so cute though. They just, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, and so, in 1917, Fred and Adele began appearing on Broadway together. Fred never actually did a show without Adele until she retired in 1932 when she got married. And Adele, during those years, was actually considered the bigger star than Fred. So he had this kind of awkward period then when he had to like make a transition from being part of this team to being on his own. And he did successfully do that. He made his movie debut in 1933 in the movie Dancing Lady. But that same year, he also appeared with Ginger Rogers in *Flying Down to Rio* in, as we said before, a supporting role. And also in 1933, Astaire married his first wife, Phyllis, with whom he had two children. Um, they were together until her death in 1954. So she died young of cancer, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah. From 1933 to 1937, Astaire only worked on his films with Rogers because he did most of his own choreography with his collaborator, Hermes Pan. And so they were prepping these movies while Ginger Rogers was able to keep doing, you know, movies on the side. Uh, Apparently Astaire initially didn't actually want to work with Ginger Rogers as a team because he had spent so long working with Adele as a team. And he didn't want to kind of be left, you know, high and dry again if something happened. So he was, it was a little nervous. But mm-hmm. the studio was like, "No, you guys are making us money. You're a winner." Like, so he kind of ended up getting sucked back into that again. Mm-hmm. And like every account I've seen has said that they did get along. Like they might have fights sometimes, but they as a, as a rule they did get along with each other and considered each other friends. So yeah, so he and Ginger like they definitely had this successful like on screen dancing relationship and off screen mostly successful too. His first role after he did a series of Ginger Rogers movies without her was A Damsel in Distress in 1937. Apparently that didn't do super well, but nevertheless, in 1939, Rogers and Astaire broke out on their own. And Astaire appeared in a number of movies, including Broadway Melody of 1940, Holiday Inn, Zigfield Follies, Blue Skies, and Easter Parade, before once more reuniting with Ginger for the Barclays of Broadway in 1949. Although mm-hmm. apparently Ginger Rogers was not originally cast in that. It was originally going to be Judy Garland, but then she was sick and she couldn't do it. So yeah. Mm. But anyway, that that Barclays of Broadway then ended up being Ginger and Fred's last mm-hmm. uh, film appearance together. But mm-hmm. in 1950, uh, Fred Astaire received an honorary Oscar and Ginger Rogers presented it to him. And while presenting her his award, she said, In all his years of dancing, I don't think Fred Astaire ever made a movement that did not contain a hint of high art. He not only dignified dancing, as far as I'm concerned, he invented it. So that's quite a compliment. Mm. And but despite receiving this honorary Oscar, usually that means it's kind of the end of the road for someone, but not for Fred Astaire. (laughs) He appeared in a lot more notable musicals in the 1950s, including uh, Royal Wedding, The Bandwagon, Daddy Mm. Long Legs, Funny Face, and Silk Stockings. And his last movie musical was uh, Finian's Rainbow in 1968. So he was working on those for a while. He also technically also he appeared in the documentaries That's Entertainment Part 1 and Part 2 as himself in the 1970s. So yeah, even more dancing. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a ton of credits from the 1960s to the 80s, but he did appear then in a series of televised dance specials. And he also branched out into non-musical acting. So he appeared on like, dr kildare and battlestar galactica and he even won an emmy for a tv movie called a family upside down and he was (laughs) yeah and he was finally nominated for a best supporting actor oscar for his work in the 1974 movie the towering inferno of all things
2: (laughs) oh god
0: yeah yeah and his final imdb credit is for the 1981 movie ghost story so in terms of his personal life, in 1980, he surprised everyone by marrying a much younger woman, Jockey Robin Smith. And this was apparently because he had this, like, long-standing interest in horse racing, and that's how he met her. Also, I found out when he was older, he also learned how to skateboard in his late 70s. Like, no. I cannot even imagine learning to skateboard right now. And this man did it in right. his late 70s. Like, whatever.
2: Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> genetically blessed in so many ways. I mean... Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then he, he finally died, though, in 1987 after being hospitalized for pneumonia. So he was like 88 years old at the time. So he had yeah. kind of an amazing life and a very long yeah. career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and by all accounts, he seems to have been a very nice guy. Like his daughter had glowing things to say about him. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. people, other people. I mean, he he was, as you mentioned, like sort of a perfectionist, but but just a high artist and like people seem to get
2: along with him. So cool. Mm -hmm. So, Talking of Fred Astaire naturally leads to talk about Ginger Rogers. And very fittingly, she was born in 1911 in Independence, Missouri. So like, I feel like that's so fitting for the roles that she eventually played. Hmm. She started performing as a child. She eventually went on tour and she performed in vaudeville. And in 1929, started working in film shorts. Ginger was working on her first Broadway show, Top Speed, when she was also offered her first feature film, Young Man of Manhattan, in 1930. And in 1930 as well, she introduced the songs Embraceable You and But Not For Me in the Broadway musical Girl Crazy, great show. And during the rehearsals for that show, Ginger Rogers met Fred Astaire for the first time when he helped choreograph one of her dance performances with another actor. And she appeared in a number of films before her work with Fred Astaire, including the Busby Berkeley musicals 42nd street. Yay. And gold diggers of 1933. Yes. Where she sang a memorable pig Latin version of we're in the money. She actually <laughs> opens that movie. She's amazing.
0: Yeah. That is and, the, that is one of the craziest movement move, that, that I have to say about that moment. That is one of the craziest moments in a movie I've ever seen too. It, like when I watched that, I felt like I was watching some kind of modern David Lynch
2: movie. I was like, geez.
0: what is happening here?
2: Okay, it is weird, and I read that that happened because she was so punch drunk from rehearsals on that song that she started just goofing around and singing it in Pig Latin, and some of the producers heard her, and they said that it has to go in the movie. Wow. Love it. Wow, amazing. Yeah. And then, yeah. as we mentioned, in 1933... Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire appeared in their first movie together, flying down to Rio in this movie. They had like what was called a specialty. They did a very particular dance. Mm. So they were basically supporting actors, but they were so popular with audiences that producers just had to take notice of them. And they went on to do nine more musicals together from 1934 to 1949. And while Fred Astaire devoted a great deal of time to preparing the choreography for their musicals with Hermes Pan. Ginger Rogers was often working on other movies during that time. She had a lot of ambitions to do dramatic roles as well as dancing roles. Mm -hmm. And some of her most successful movies during that period were Stage Door in 1937. She's fabulous in that. And Vivacious Lady in 1938. And in 1939, a big year for movies after making the story of Vernon and Irene Castle, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire parted ways to work on other projects. But don't be sad because (laughs) soon after pursuing her own work, Rogers won an Oscar for playing the lead role in Kitty Foyle. This is a kind of slightly controversial movie, but really very kind of groundbreaking and feminist in its way. It's a really Mm -hmm. fantastic movie. And some of her other work in the 40s and 50s included Tom, Dick and Harry, 1941, The Major and the Minor, 1942, Roxy Hart, 1942. Lady in the Dark, 1944. I'll Be Seeing You, also 1944. Monkey Business with Cary Grant in 1952. (laughs) And her final film with Fred Astaire, Barclays of Broadway, in 1949. Ginger Rogers' movie career kind of began winding down in the 50s, but she began making TV appearances. Her last movie was Harlow in 1965. From 1965 to 67, she found success again on Broadway, starring in Hello, Dolly. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Mm And in 1969, appeared in Mame in London. In 1985, she directed her first show, an off-Broadway production of Babes in Arms. That's another fantastic show. Her final (laughs) TV appearance was on Hotel in 1987. In 1991, she published an autobiography, Ginger, My Story. Rogers died of natural causes in 1995 at age 83, and throughout her life, she married and divorced five times but didn't have any children.
0: Yeah, I didn't really look into that too much, but like, yeah, she had a very turbulent romantic life compared to Mm. um, compared to like a stare. Kind of like she had a Cary Grant level turbulent romantic life. Yeah,
2: um, interesting.
1: Okay, Mark Sandrich. He's our director of Top Hat. He was born in 1900 in New York City as Mark Rex Goldstein. Sandridge originally trained as a physicist, but ended up working in films after visiting a film set a cousin was working on and solving an electrical problem on set. I think that's brilliant. He started mm-hmm. as an assistant prop man and eventually began writing and directing shorts in the 1920s. And by the late twenties and early thirties, he began directing features. His early features included runaway girls, the Talk of Hollywood, Melody Cruise, and Hips, Hips, Hooray. <laughs> <In> 19- <laughs> what a funny title. <laughs> uh, in 1933, he also directed a short called So This is Harris which won an Oscar for best short subject comedy. And according to the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers book was one of the first films to reflect the developments and technique that made the second phase of musicals possible. Ooh, He directed five Astaire and Roger films and his first film directing them was the gay divorcee in 1934, followed by our film today, which is top hat in 1935. He went on to direct them in Follow the Fleet, Shall We Dance, and Carefree. In the 1930s, Sandridge also directed Catherine Hepburn in A Woman Rebels. Mm. In 1939, Sandridge left RKO and went to Paramount. At Paramount, he began producing as well. His best-known film during that period was 1942's Holiday Inn, where he worked again with Fred Astaire and Irving Berlin. Among the other films he directed were the romantic comedy Skylark with Claudette Colbert and Ray Milland and several war movies, So Proudly We Hail, I Love a Soldier, and Here Come the Waves. Sandridge died of a heart attack in 1945 at the age of 44 while filming the Astaire Bing Crosby musical Blue Skies. He was also president of the Directors Guild of America at the time sandridge had two sons mark sandridge jr and jay sandridge who both went on to direct film and television
0: yeah i'm sad that he died so young he made some oh my gosh yeah Yeah,
1: terrible
0: yeah so we have other important cast from the film are edward everett horton as horace hardwick helen broderick is horace's wife madge Eric Blore as Bates, and Eric Rhodes as Alberto Bedini. Sorry, I have to say it with that, with the flourish. Me too. Of uh, Bedini. I am Bedini. Okay. <laughs> I love Bedini <laughs> so much. Okay. And other important crew include cinematographer David Abel, Hermes Pan as ensemble stager, and Max Steiner as musical director, and Irving Berlin, who wrote the music and lyrics. And for a bit more about Irving Berlin, you can listen to every rom-com episode 52 on White Christmas. And as a bonus, Poppy is also our guest for that episode.
2: Yay, that yeah. was so fun.
0: So yeah, so before we get into the our movie at hand, Top Hat, I just want to talk about the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers musicals as compared to the musicals that came like immediately before them. So mm-hmm. this was fascinating to me. Obviously, early Hollywood, the transition to sound, there was so much going on at the time, like people Mm -hmm. were learning this technology so quickly, like in the early days of the sound films, apparently, like music and movies was limited to just like a performer, like standing and singing, like they, Mm -hmm. they they did not have the technology for people to be dancing all around, Mm -hmm. you know, like this, it was hard to record the sound. So later technology developed where performers could sing and dance and move. But then the style before the Astaire Rogers movies was dominated by, like, the work of Busby Berkeley, who also, I had not seen Busby Berkeley films before
2: preparing for Whoa, this. Yeah.
0: Shut your mouth again.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. So,
0: Sophia, had you seen any of these films? Have you seen any of the Busby Berkeleys?
1: I, like, I don't know. Poppy, don't okay, know. Okay, you
0: probably haven't then. You probably haven't, because you would know. You would know. Okay. <laughs> okay. They, they are okay. something. So yeah, yeah. so Busby Berkeley's choreography is like totally different than what you see in the Astaire Rogers movies. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be like a lot of cuts. There's a lot of close-ups on parts of dancers' bodies. You get like these unique viewpoints, like the camera goes like under the dancer's legs, for example, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's just so artistic. And like, there's these like overhead shots of like dancers creating these geometric patterns. So -hmm. it's really more like Busby Berkeley is capturing a spectacle and the individual dancers almost don't matter for the most part. Would you Would you agree
2: with that, Poppy? Like, is there anything I you would com- add? I completely agree with that. I think a lot of his work, you know, he, he not only choreographed sometimes, but he also directed and choreographed. And I think he was such a fan of the spectacle using women's bodies specifically. Sometimes he used male bodies, but um, as a sort of titillation. Mm-hmm. And it, you're right, it did not matter... There was a whole chorus line of women dressed exactly the same. And there was usually a lot of focus because the, at the time, the legs were definitely <laughs> an erogenous zone. So there was a lot of spread legs, legs put together. There was there was just a lot of that. And there was a lot of natural themes, um, overhead, huge crane shots, overhead of women's bodies forming flowers and geometric shapes. This is not what Fred Astaire was into. No. No. At all, no. to say the least. <laughs> yeah. he yeah. Wa- he wanted. He was proud of being a dancer, and he wanted the full body of a dancer mm-hmm. in an elegant way, in an artistic way, captured if if possible in one take. Yeah. and he did not like fancy stuff like that at all.
0: So yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and also like in the Busby Berkeley musicals, sometimes you get like all the major musical performances at the end of the film, like in Footlight Parade. But like uh-huh. uh, but like Astaire right. and um, his collaborators on these films, the writers and the directors, they would carefully space out the musical numbers and mm-hmm. like make sure there's a little comedy here, then there's a little music and then there's a little we like just so audiences would be consistently entertained.
2: So well, totally also Jen, different. if you think about uh, you know, the the adages, every scene that breaks into song or dance needs to further the plot mm-hmm. along. And I don't think Busby Berkeley was <laughs> particularly interested in that. He wanted the spectacle, but but definitely Fred Astaire, Ginger Roger movies and other musicals of that time, they definitely followed that adage. Like, let's make yeah. sure this music is saying something or this dance is saying something. Yeah. And I think Top Hat's a great example.
0: Yeah. yeah, and in fact, like the the Buzz the three Busby Berkeley movies I've seen so far, each one of them the music numbers were just there because they, all the characters in the movie were performing a show. Like the whole plot was about, we got to perform. Right. This show. We
2: need the money for the show. Like it's like, uh-huh. and it was, when the sound came into being, the whole thing was let's just make this like, as if we're filming a stage musical. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would be, it would be the backstage of that stage musical for technical reasons. You can understand why they started out that way. Right. But then yeah. by the time we get to the mid thirties, things start to change a bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is really this is really was a sea change in the way um mm-hmm. musical like musicals were being filmed. Like these mm-hmm. Roger films became so popular that they ended up being then the basic template for musicals going forward you will see a little bit of difference between this and like the next movies we're going to cover like On the Town or like The Music Man if we end up covering mm-hmm. that where there's still a heightened element to the actual music and dance performances mm-hmm. in an Astaire Rogers film. Like the, the dialogue in the comic scenes might be a little corny or like, you know, casual. Mm-hmm. But then you go into these really romantic, elevated, beautifully filmed like dance mm-hmm. numbers all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And, and like they just take you right out of that. They're in a different zone almost. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's a little yeah. bit of a hyper reality to it that you sometimes see in other musicals but sometimes other musicals it's more like you're watching glee
2: and everything's at the same level if you know what i mean yeah and i think post-war america on the town fits in with that but pre-war in depression era top hat fits in perfectly with that yeah yeah
0: yeah so we're just we're covering some different eras of the musical and i just wanted our listeners to understand that like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie musical might seem a little basic now watching it like a little bit Mm -hmm. like, Oh, like that's just normal musical, but it wasn't at the time. It Mm -hmm. was, it was starting a new thing. It was showcasing a dancer as an individual and really showing what a dancer singer could do. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well let's now get to the opening of the movie. And even at the beginning of the opening credits, we have just such a fantastic Mm. introduction here. Yeah. We've got this line of men with canes that come into view and then stared feet, we just see his like bottom leg and feet tap into view. And then we see Roger's like bottom leg and feet tap into view. And to me, this indicates that they were already such a sensation at the time. They're, they're defeating the audience's anticipate. They're fueling the audience's anticipation mm. for their, you know, appearance. You
2: know what I mean? Yeah, but also I was reading up on the dances specifically and the gender um, politics and dynamic of this movie. And what's so fascinating is from the credits, Fred taps into view and crosses one foot over the other. She comes and mimics him Mm -hmm. and does the same thing. And you'll see that theme throughout all the dances in this movie. It's so fantastic.
1: Mm hmm.
0: And then we see also then a picture, what we, what I thought was a picture of a large top hat under the credits. But then like I heard in the, the commentary, it actually is the same. It is there showing a man who's actually wearing a top hat the whole time during the oh. credits. And like I guess the man was just standing still while they filmed him with the top hat on. And yeah, it turns into just like a random guy who's standing outside the Thackeray Club in London, which oh. as far as I can tell, is not a real club that ever existed. Probably just named yeah. after the author Thackeray who wrote the book Vanity Fair.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I can tell you from being in some of those clubs, man, and, and we'll get to that. But wow, it's really a lot like a real club. Oh, no, in we're life
0: we're life. already there. We're, we're ready to talk okay. about the Thackeray Club. Tell so, us, yeah, please you... tell me, is the Thackeray yeah. well, Club in, in, in life similar to clubs you have been in?
2: Yes, but it, it, the it, they are usually hushed. There are certain rooms like, you know, that you'll come into like a reading room mm-hmm. and for sure it's like a library where no you do not we should say to listeners if they haven't seen this movie, this whole movie starts with 5 minutes of virtual silence. <laughs> Fred Astaire is waiting for his theater director, Edward Everett Horton to arrive to meet him at the club and Any sound that is made in the room by waiters delivering, I don't know, sherry port to these men who are congregating, reading the newspaper. It's seen as like a violation of the peace and the, the tranquility that these men demand in their rich lives. And of course, Fred Astaire is a disruptor. He's quiet for a while, but then he disrupts that whole scene. And I think that's a really important character note Mm -hmm. for this Jerry, um, Terry Travers, am I right? Yeah, no, I, no.
0: I don't know if it's Travers or Travers. I can't remember. I think name. it's Travers. Yeah. Either way. You say Travers, I say Travers. Yeah, tomato, tomato. Let's do more references from the Sarah Rogers on. movies. Yeah. Let's just keep doing that. I love it. <laughs> but you saying, like, so you've been in a club such as this, and it seems yes. true to life? Okay. Yes,
2: yeah. it is 100% true to life. I wouldn't say, like, the... Um, the the clientele in that scene kind of skew to like over 80 yeah, I wouldn't say yeah. the close. I don't <laughs> think that's necessarily true that they're all old grandpas who need complete silence but there's definitely that respectful hush hmm, let's just hmm. put it that way
0: yeah and as you said uh fred disrupts the hush like first he's just clearing his throat by accident and they all glare at him (laughs) then he's like trying to fold like open the newspaper close it and like they all get really pissed off like and but then finally he's like as they're leaving he's just like as a joke like as a gag he does his tap dance on like the mm -hmm. on the steps of the club and like kind of cheerfully Mm -hmm. jauntily walks off so that's where yeah where he's being that disruptor as you said so now we get to one of my favorite, um, I, for me, like, like, again, I love the Aster Rogers stuff, but I love just as much the Eric Blore and Edward Everett Horton interactions <laughs> in all these movies. And in this one, um, Eric Bloor is playing Bates, who is Horace's valet. And um, Horace tells Jerry right away at the club that he must come and stay with him at his hotel because he has had a, quarrel with his valet and I'm going to play a clip of this scene and then I'm, I want to talk a little bit about my interpretation of it and then I want to like open it to the floor so let's play a clip of Horace and Jerry and then Bates.
3: Jerry I have got to tell you but I want you to stay here for the night. I'm sorry I can't do it. Oh but you must do oh man really. You see at the moment I'm having a sort of a problem with my valet. Oh well um what do you want me to do, press your pants? Oh, no, no, you couldn't, you wouldn't know how. No, you don't understand, it's my man, Bates. we had a bit of a tiff. Oh, how terrible, mm-hmm. you, you, you didn't come to blows or anything. Nothing like that, we're not speaking to each other. We've had rather a clash of, of taste. You see, Bates insists that a square tie is the only possible tie that can be worn with evening clothes. <laughs> a square tie, imagine. <laughs> I prefer the butterfly. Well, I think Bates is right. Bates is never right. Well, then why don't you fire him? That's a little difficult. I'm hoping against hope that the man will just uh, disappear. Well, I hate to interfere in these little family squabbles, but let's hope he'll approve of me. Well, there's never any telling with Bates. Well, there you are. If you please. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Allow us to introduce ourselves, sir. We are Bates, Oh, really? We are Jerry Travers. Welcome to our main art. Thank you, Bates. Thank you. It seems that I'm to stay here tonight. At least that was the idea of our beloved impresario. Whose idea? Mr. Hardwick's. Oh, his idea. Well, welcome anyhow. Oh, thank you, Bates. Oh, pardon, sir. But may we make a personal observation, sir? Well, not too personal. Oh, no, sir. It is merely that we feel impelled to compliment you, sir, upon your excellent taste in Thai. They like me.
0: Okay. So I got to say the very first time, the very first time I watched the scene, I'm like, okay, they're implying that um, Edward Ever Horton's character and Eric Bloor's character are gay. Right. Like that they're like in love with each other. Mm. And like Lee was like, did not see it. But then I kept like just seeing things in the film that like were seeded in. So I'm going to tell you first from this scene, what I got. Okay. Family. I don't interfere in family squabbles. Um, welcome to our mainage by the 1930s. Maynage was already associated with menage a trois, by the way. Mm. Mm -hmm. and um he said you didn't come to blows did you and he said oh nothing like that blows was actually separate from the word blowjobs at the time blows was like had a sexual connotation in the 1930s i did research i did research because i was like there's something going on in this scene and like if you just look at the way too, Bates and like horace look at each other in this scene and mm-hmm. and and then like the way they squabble with each other and like they act yeah. like an old married couple and their facial yeah. expressions. And then later in the movie, too, they have these additional kind of squabbles that seem like a married couple, and also at one point they're reconciled, and Horace seems so happy to be reconciled, but then they squabble <laughs> again.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
0: you add into this, Madge is implying constantly throughout the film that Horace isn't very like sexually like you know assertive oh. or something. Yeah. And there's there's even a scene where like Bedini gives him a double kiss and then And and Horace looks excited. And then Madge says, don't mind me, boys. Go right ahead. (laughs) Right. Oh,
2: my. I just didn't pick up on that. (laughs) So
0: I haven't seen anything written about this except one other person wrote it in a blog. But I swear it's there. And um, Mm -hmm. what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, yes. And then I found out that Edward Everett Horton actually was a gay actor, which doesn't necessarily mean that, like, the people in this play knew about that or that it was a play on him. But he was a gay actor. Apparently he had a lifelong um, partner. So,
2: yeah, mm. I'm just,
0: I think there's something there. I think, I don't I think it was, I don't think it was ill intended or trying to make fun of them. I think it was just mm-hmm. like a cheeky sort of like, haha, haze Code, we're going to sneak in this, um, yeah, this man mm-hmm. and his butler. Yeah,
2: <laughs> for sure.
0: So, Sophia, you're, I mm-hmm, mean, do you agree with me? Did you see this connotation?
2: Or um, does it-
1: I I would say, just in a lot of the context of this film, that there's so much like, uh, there's a lot of cheeky stuff and I think when I was younger obviously I didn't see it when I was little but that my the the aunts that I lived with that I talked about earlier that loved these films or whatever they just always talked about like this time of time in, in, in life and everything but he was just so good and pure and blah 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 and well we would never and, and this and that and come to find out that like it's there's a lot of like yeah little wink wink and nudge nudge and context Uh going on so like and the other thing the tip off you can get from this
0: movie too is a lot of times when you're meant to get a double entendre from something someone will pause briefly or they'll do a double take and there were a couple of those in this scene I'm still trying to figure out if clash has any special meaning because he immediately changes the wording from clash to tiff, I believe. So it's like, I was really trying to go heavy on the etymology for this, but like, and I'll put a link to the show notes about the whole blows, but, but the Maynage thing just kills me. Welcome to our Maynage. Cause it's such
2: a weird thing to say anyway. Yeah.
0: Don't you think? <laughs>
2: Yes, that line didn't even stand out to me. The the bickering like an old married couple did, but a sexual homoerotic overtone? No, that didn't. But those are very specific word choices. You're right. right. And Bates also comes out in his like robe and everything, which
0: could be meant as like, oh, what a sloppy butler, you know, but like at other times he's all wearing his like, you know, perfect suit. Or that
1: it's late at night. They do talk about how it's being late at night. So, yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. and I
2: think the idea is that Bates is so on this topic and so incensed that he it it rouses him out of bed, and <laughs> he and also it, I think it demonstrates his loyalty. If you notice, Edward Everett Horton's like a look when he goes to put his coat on, even though they're really pissed at each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, he's like, or his robe or dressing gown or whatever. It was like, what are you doing? And he's like, this is my job. Yeah, yeah But you're yeah. annoying me, you know, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I just, I love their whole interaction. They're great in all the films. There's this, oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I'll, t- I'll wait to tell about that if I get a chance in the double feature recommendations. But there's like different scenes in different movies that make me want to watch, that make me want to recommend that movie just for them, so... So, yeah. And so now we heard in the background the music for the next song in the movie, which is No Strings, I'm Fancy Free. So we heard already dun, dun 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 which is interesting. Like, I didn't really notice it while I was watching it. I didn't notice that until I clipped it. What do you guys think of all this music constantly being in the background like this?
2: I noticed that on this viewing uh, preparing for the show too. And I was like, that's a wee bit intrusive. Was that an Irving Berlin contract thing? Like, I don't, I don't really know how to think about that, but it does. It definitely gives momentum and propulsion to the scene. So, and, and also if you notice in this movie, it definitely is a Fred um, Astaire trademark of, the song, the start to the song is a natural yeah, like extension yeah. of conversation. Yeah. So it kind of gives a bed to that style. I don't really know, but I felt it was really kind of weird in this scene particularly.
0: Yeah. I guess I didn't think it was weird until I clipped it and I was like, huh. But yeah, mm-hmm. speaking of the seamless transition. So Horace is telling Jerry that his wife wants to set him up with a woman in Italy. And he's t- saying that he's, that's not the kind of guy he is. He's independent. And then he starts singing no strings and no connections no ties to my affections i'm fancy free and free for anything fancy no dates that can't be broken no words that can't be spoken especially when i am feeling romancy like a robin upon a tree Like a sailor that goes to sea, like an unwritten melody, I'm free, that's me. So bring on the big attraction. My decks are cleared for action, I'm fancy free, and free for anything fancy. There.
1: (laughs) Beautiful, Jay.
0: Love it. You were great. (laughs) I don't think I was good as a stare by any means, not even close, but I tried. So. but no, that was I, like, I, tried, I did try to mimic his i did try to mimic his delivery though like the kind of style you he totally uses. nailed that uh-huh. like he has a great style like i like the way he mm-hmm. kind of like puts the lyrics out there like in a very casual kind of way that seems natural mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yeah so what do you guys think of that of this song and dance number that he does here this this performance is it
2: one of your favorites in the film does it work for you Yeah, it's it's absolutely, I think, one of my absolute favorite songs in this entire movie. Yeah, definitely. And not to go too deep, but I was doing a little research about gender politics at the time, and there's something about a man being fancy free in the 30s during the Depression. There is a dark edge to that. Mm. There were a lot of men who were just unmoored by losing their jobs and losing their position of breadwinner in families. And they would often ride the rails and become bums Mm. because they were so ashamed. I mean, they were basically leaving their families in dire straits, but they actually thought that that was better, that they were burdens because they couldn't make money. That was the kind of politics of the time. So when Fred Astaire is in Tales and he is singing Mm. about that, in one way, it's like, I'm so rich. I'm very privileged. I'm fancy free. I don't have to marry. Mm. But there are other people during that time who not only did they have to marry, they couldn't stay married. So there was another edge to that when I listened to that song this time. Mm. It was like, Gee, Fred, aren't you lucky? You're a lucky <laughs> so-and-so, aren't you? Cause like you can just play the field and these other men don't have that privilege. And maybe that was part of the, you know, suspending disbelief and living in another yeah. reality for the film goers at that time, you yeah, know? Yeah.
0: I mean, these were viewed as like escapist films, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. yeah. The way that we would watch crazy rich Asians and be like, wow, wouldn't it be nice to like have someone fly me? <laughs> First class in a little <laughs> yeah. room on a plane and then like yeah. <laughs> take me to someone's yes. bachelorette party where I get to pick out designer clothes or what you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So then this this music, like this scene starts with him like kind of dancing around the room and Edward Everett Hortons kind of just like casually watching him. He uses a lot of the sets and the props while he's dancing, mm-hmm. like he interacts with them, which is cool. But mm-hmm. then the camera, I love this. The camera moves down to show Ginger Rogers, who's in the room below, in this beautiful bed like this like yeah gorgeous satiny bed and she she's been woken up from sleep and so the next part of this interaction is her coming up to kind of like uh tell him what's what so this is this is our meet cute in the movie but it's more of a meet annoy what do you think of this first encounter
1: well you know, we have all this music going and he's dancing up a storm. He just can't stop dancing. And then he, he's talking <laughs> about being fancy free. And I don't, you know what, when I'm feeling romancy or when blah, blah, blah. And he opens the door and it, all of it stops. Like all the music stops yes. and mm-hmm. all the dancing stops. Mm-hmm. And he sees her and she's beautiful. And he's like, he's in love. Right. Mm-hmm. After just saying, I yeah. don't want yep. any of that.
2: You are so, and that is the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers trope, as Jen said earlier in the show, right? This is how Mm -hmm. most of the relationships start out between them.
0: She's annoyed
2: by something he does.
0: Yeah, and he's like, uh, immediately like, yes, yeah
1: yeah okay and this is where the again the first half and kind of the tone of it all and this kind of courtship was so hard because he just seems so mm. schmarmy. Sm- where she's <laughs> like uh oh you're afflicted and he's like i really shouldn't be alone and like i don't know if that's just him not being yes. like acting well because he just <laughs> delivers these like lines that should be flirty like creepy
0: so creepy oh man and it, she it, plays it, gro- it grows it on me
1: I got to tell it. you, babe, it grew.
0: It, yeah, he grew on me. Like after I watched, like, I don't know if like what I'm beginning Stockholm syndrome, but I watched like three more of these. And all of a sudden I find Fred Astaire kind of like, and his little, and his little cutesy looks, I start finding them irresistible. And I'm like, oh, okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. okay. It, well, it's pretty <laughs> okay. manner. It's very mannered. It's not very yeah. natural. Yeah. Right. I think that's maybe... It's like heightens the romance, maybe at the time, like, again, that women expected to be pursued, even though they were basically saying, I think you're a waste of space Bye. but they expected that men would not take a no for an answer. So it's part of that whole thing, I think.
0: I just yes. started to find his like goofy facial expressions like sort of irresistible. I don't know what has happened to me. Like this is actually like at this point, like I would say if I had to resurrect a classic movie actor to like fall in love with, it would now be Fred Astaire. So congratulations, oh, I kind of yeah. love that, Jen. I love that. That's I great. do
2: too. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: I mean, I'm not actually going to do that because that would be a weird horror movie. But no, yeah. Oh, that's a wow. good idea for a weird horror movie. Okay, never mind. Ooh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: But so Rogers worked for you, Sophia, huh? With
1: her like snappy rejections and so forth. Yep, mm. yep. Can you imagine <laughs> sleeping like that in that nightgown that she's in? It's all like satin oh. and lace, and her hair is perfectly curled. She's got all the mm-hmm. makeup on, and she's sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love it. A
2: nice, nice, beautiful heeled slippers too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <if that laughs> yeah. oh, and her
1: part. yeah, her silky robe. I know, so yeah. beautiful. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So after
0: Ginger returns to her downstairs bed, um, Fred goes yep. and like he gets like this like thing that's like an ashtray with sand in it, and like yep. he yeah. brings it into Horace's hotel room and he starts like sprinkling oh. the sand on the floor. And I'm
2: like, dude, you're not doing that in my hotel room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, but I read somewhere and I never had thought about this that actually, so she comes up to the room, knock, knock, knock. Hey, cut yeah. it out! I'm going to sleep. He pursues her down the hallway down the stairs and she's like bye okay yeah. then he's like feels bad he spreads sand on the parquet floor that he was recently very percussively tapping mm-hmm. on and uh-huh. he does a kind of beautiful sensual soft shoe over her mm-hmm. uh-huh. that is a very sexy thing <laughs> you know if you think about that it's like very gliding soft almost caressing, caressing. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a Mm. It's she a very it sexy too. thing. Yeah, Ooh, she like she has that little half smile uh-huh. on her face uh-huh. as she closes her eyes. Yeah, uh-huh. and then
0: Edward Everett Horton falls asleep, and then Jerry falls asleep, uh, Fred Astaire yep. falls asleep on their chairs. And I'm like, this is yep. not gonna be a great night's sleep, but it's a cute way to end the. It's a cute way to end the yeah. scene. Yeah. So now we come to the next morning, and um, Fred Astaire is buying out the flower shop. <laughs> Incidentally, Lucille Ball appears in this scene as a flower clerk. Like I I would not have recognized her and did not recognize her until this was pointed out to me.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. She doesn't really have a lot of dialogue. The main point of this scene is to show that a Fred Astaire is in love with Ginger Rogers and B that there's gossip in the hotel that she is involved with Alberto Bedini, who is paying for all her clothes and I think her room and other things also like Mm -hmm. my take on this is that she's really not involved with Bedini because like later they're talking and they say they're just friends.
2: I think it's meant to be like a racy moment that kind of plants a seed in the audience's mind. Like, is she a kept woman? Yeah. And I think this dovetails for me in the presentation of Ginger Rogers' character for the time as being independent, She's obviously not married yet. She is earning her own living as a model. Mm-hmm. And she's in a maybe sexually suggestive relationship and obviously just doesn't give a hoot. It's like, yep. I don't care. I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm making a living and supporting myself and I'm traveling around Europe, so I don't care. It was a very interesting thing, I think.
0: And now we get to the point where Jerry is pursuing Dale or where he is sort of stalking her. So like, this is the thing. When I first watched this movie, like uh, coming to these fresh from like the, you know, 21st century, I was like, dude, back off. Like, what are you doing? Because mm-hmm. he's like, he was first stalking her in the hallway upstairs, like running after her when she's rejected him. Then he's trying to waylay her when she's on her way to the riding lesson with her riding clothes on and everything. And then he somehow manages to get ahead of her and steal the horse carriage that she has taken to her riding lessons. It's so absurd. And it's it,
2: absurd. and
0: now that I've watched it a few times, it's funny. But when I first watched it, I was like, this is like, this is like, this could be like a horror or thriller movie. Yeah. You know, if she wasn't interested in this guy, this could be like Mark Wahlberg and Reese Witherspoon in fear or something. Well, she's interested in him in that too at first. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? This is like, a yeah. st- this is kind of like a stalker movie. And that moment when she finds out it's him, and like that she, oh. she lifts the lid of the, the carriage so she can look at him and he goes peekaboo. And you just see yeah. his face. Me. I was
2: like, it's kind <laughs> of scary. So scary. I thought that was weird. And also, well, also we don't talk about the fact that he doesn't know how to drive a carriage. So it starts, the horse starts to race, which uh, in the time, if a horse was a runaway horse on a dirt road in London, you would have probably ended up, smashed to smithereens Mm-mm. and the idea that fred somehow manages to pull the horse back and get her to the riding stable is like ludicrous but anyway it's pretty hilarious
0: well as he says in dealing with a girl or a horse one just oh, lets dear. nature take its course
2: oh my god that's one of like the corniest lines in that whole damn movie <laughs> yes
0: so, I also found it interesting about this scene, though, in the horse carriage that once again we see Fred Astaire is above and Ginger is below in the carriage. Mm-hmm. So, we have that dynamic. And again, it'll play out one more time in the movie as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I just wanted to yeah. point that out. And mm-hmm. then we also have the sec, maybe the first Corneas or second Corneas line. They get to the stable finally, and like she, she's saying to Fred, What is this strange power you have over
2: horses? Oh. And then he
0: goes, Horsepower? And he makes <laughs> this little cute face.
2: Oh, my God. It's the worst. So bad. It's the worst. You're talking about my new boyfriend, Poppy. I know. I apologize. I adore Fred. I adore Fred, but I cannot forgive him for repeating that line and not calling the script supervisor over. It worked for me. I'll just say. Oh, my God. She's totally in love.
0: Okay, so now Jerry has dropped Dale off at the horse stables and... We see Dale riding a horse and a storm comes up. And this drives Dale into a gazebo. And then we see Jerry drive up with the cab again. He's still using his bad accent and trying to entice her into the cab. And then she doesn't want to go with him, but he pursues her into the gazebo. And again, the first time I watched this movie, I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. you're being a creeper, dude. What's going on here? (laughs) Did you Mm -hmm. feel that the first time, Poppy? Or is it just us like... Were you accustomed think- to the older movies enough that it didn't like hit you?
2: Yeah, see, I have had such a long, aff- long love affair with uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers that I find him eventually just charming, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, sort yeah. of childlike, not creepy for me personally.
0: Yeah, it was. It was like after I'd watched a bunch of the movies, I was like, oh, it's just Fred Astaire, and it kind of like softened me like towards mm-hmm. him. But like, but, like the first time, I'm like, no, what are you doing? She
1: doesn't want. Yeah.
2: You do you like get away from the gazebo go
1: away (laughs) yeah yeah
2: (laughs) he's like a little kid who doesn't know that the other kid doesn't want to befriend him that's how i (laughs) sort of see him sometimes
0: but he's like so he's like talking to her and this whole time we're gonna play a clip and this whole time at the beginning of the clip he's sidling up to her he's talking to her and she keeps like like getting away from him edging away walking away and Mm. we're gonna play this clip that's gonna lead up to uh, their first sort of song together in the movie
3: Of thunder? Oh no. Just the noise. You you know what thunder is, don't you? Of course? It's uh, something about the air. Not uh, no. Uh, when a clumsy cloud from here meets a fluffy little cloud from there, he billows towards her. She scurries away And he scuds right up to her. She cries a little, and there you have your shower. He comforts her. They spark. That's the lightning. They kiss. Thunder. The weather is frightening. The thunder and lightning seem to be having their way. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a lovely day. The turn in the weather will keep us together, so I can honestly say that as far as I'm concerned, it's a lovely day. And everything's okay. Isn't this a lovely day to be caught in the rain? were going on your way, now you've got to remain. Just as you were going, leaving me all at sea. The clouds broke, they broke, and oh, what a break for me.
0: Yeah, so it it was hard not to sing. (laughs) Uh,
2: I love that song. Yeah. I love it. I think the lyrics are so witty. And also I was thinking about the time in which that was filmed and that romance kind of did often have rainy days, but he was trying Mm -hmm. to still persuade her that it was worth taking a chance on. I love it.
0: What do you think about the little speech he gives uh, before the song?
2: a wee bit condescending maybe
0: <laughs> like why why is also why is the cloud making the other cloud cry like is this part of the courtship
2: ritual that a woman yes. has to cry <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it it it's totally infantilizing her you know it's like it's such a gender thing of the time i think
0: yeah the lead up to the song is not my favorite but the song <laughs> itself i agree has like clever lyrics it's very catchy it gets stuck in my head
1: yeah. And, and
0: then we lead into this dance and yeah. And I, th- I think it's pretty cool how they are dancing separately for so much mm-hmm. of the dance before they like, it's building up tension the whole time. Mm-hmm. Are they going to touch each other? Are they going to dance together? And it doesn't happen until quite late in the number. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very effective.
1: Yeah. I think
2: it also proves that rule that, you know, any scene in a musical that has music or dancing, it needs to forward the plot. And I think this dance is a perfect example because until this point, she has been resisting his so-called charms. Mm -hmm. But then she kind of shows him that she's his equal. She can mimic every step that he did. And Mm -hmm. do you remember when he makes that turn and he kind of puts his fingers on his chin and looks down at her like, wow, go girl. Like, I didn't even think you had it in you. And I think it's like such a great encapsulation about their energy together. Like she was like, you're not going to beat me. I'm your equal and I'm going to show you. Love it. Mm -hmm. I don't even, I don't remember that gesture, but I'll look out
1: for it the next time I see that scene. Yeah. I also like her outfit in this one. You know, it's this riding outfit, it's pants and a little jacket and it's not, um, you know, particularly feminine and it's uh you know i would say a little more masculine and that idea of like you know meeting him match for match you know with Mm -hmm. the steps and stuff like that that kind of going with it because later on we see you know her beautiful elegant ostrich feather dress and stuff like that so i kind of like this this particular Mm -hmm. moment of a little tougher
0: I just like to see the scenes where she's wearing pants because you can see her legs move much better. And so in some of the other yeah. movies, there are these instances where she wears pants, too. And I'm like, oh, good. She gets to wear pants in this one. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Sure. Jennifer, did you see Barclays of Broadway yet? Because no. she wears a beautiful pair of bell bottoms and a tap dance with Fred Astaire in that. Ooh. Yeah. yeah,
0: sadly not. Sadly, them. like the last three I haven't seen are all waiting at the library for me today. So I wasn't able to see them in time for our show, oh, but wow. I, I'll I'll be, bring them home and hopefully I'll have some time to watch some of them in, in between preparing for On the Town. <laughs> I'm <laughs> moving on. I'm kind of moving on to Gene Kelly next. So we'll see. We might, get, <laughs> yeah. we might have time to finish them. So, yeah, so this this scene is kind of is our first kind of love scene in the movie. And when Dale goes back to the hotel, she's even kind of still humming, singing along to the song. We also at the hotel find out that Dale has a deal with Bedini to wear his clothes. They're not in a romantic relationship, but Bedini's upset because now she doesn't want to go to Italy. She wants to stay in London and hang out with Jerry. And then she receives a telegram from Madge from Italy saying that her husband Horace is at the hotel. This leads to Dale. I'm not going to go into why, but Dale then gets this idea that Horace, that Jerry is Horace, Madge's husband. So all of a sudden she goes from being totally in love to being very angry. And Mm -hmm. as a result of this, uh, Jerry gets slapped. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently this is like some kind of like big deal because Horace, like either that or Horace is just being fussy. I don't know which, but Horace is like all concerned that this is going to cause a scandal for the new show that Jerry's doing for him. Yeah, And I love this. I love this line. Horace says, I'd rather have it had happened to me than to you.
1: Oh, of course, if you enjoy that sort of thing. I do immensely. I Don't be absurd. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, know, there's,
1: a, there's a bunch of that in there. <laughs> wow. <like> double takes. <laughs> yes. like he, he caught him out. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so like some of the
0: people who are doing commentary on this movie were talking about how edward everett horton was really known for his comic double takes and he has Mm -hmm. so many of them in the movie and this is but this was by far my favorite because he's like (laughs) i love being slapped wait no what yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh, good old edward Edward everett horton
2: Yeah. yeah i love him
0: yeah and there's another line also where Horace is asking Jerry if he forgot himself, you know, which of course meant in the day, like, did you like do more sexually with someone than you ought to have before marriage? And Jerry says, if I ever forgot myself with that girl, I'd remember it. Yeah. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. So I just, yeah, I love all the clever dialogue in this section. And there's just more. I've got all this clever dialogue written down in the outline. That's like all I have. This this whole section is just funny people being witty together, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Dale tells Bedini she hates all men. Bedini says, I am no man. I am Bedini.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, he does a lot of funny, uh, you know, because he's supposed to be from a different country and all, he doesn't know all the the slang and stuff like that. And yeah. that gets, he trips things up all the time. And that was very funny as mm-hmm. well. And he's got this signature line. Um, he he oh, yeah. vows that he's going to kill
0: Horace for Dale. And then he says, for the woman, the kiss, and he makes a kissing gesture. For the man, the sword, and he has like a fucking sword with him, like or, or some kind of <laughs> at least a fencing foil. I don't know if it's a real sword, but like, but his is yeah, that's his slogan. For the woman, the kiss. For the man, the sword. Apparently, before the Hayes Code interceded, it was supposed to be for the man the sword. For the woman, the whip. <laughs> like,
1: uh,
0: I think that in this one instance, the Hayes Code did them a favor. I think. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a big f- yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, bonkers. What does that have to do with mm. redeeming her? Because the man was, you know, treated her poorly. Weird, bonkers. It, yeah, it,
0: it does not make Bedini seem like somebody Dale would want to be hanging out with if he was going around saying, "Yeah, right, right."
2: But I, if, if I'm being honest, I had to really question her the whole time with this dude. Like, oh yeah, what is the, what is the exchange right. here? What are you, right. you know? Yeah, it's it's just it's sort of um, rom-com logic. It just really sometimes, if you ponder it too deeply, right. it doesn't make any sense. You know right. what it kind of
0: reminded me of, Sophia? And I'm addressing Sophia specifically because she was on this episode. It kind of reminded me of the ridiculous Italian um, young man from The Wedding Plan. Yes, the-
1: yes. I <laughs> thought the same thing. I thought I thought the same thing. From and, The Wedding Plan. And he planner. wasn't
0: as extreme. He wasn't as extreme because I don't think you could have done that in the in the 90s or whatever or right. the early 2000s. But like, I'm like, I'm I'm wondering if the director there was or the writer there was thinking, sure. hearkening back to this sort of thing. Ooh. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I have to wonder because it was, it totally made me think of it too. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> oh man, Bedini. Oh, Bedini. Okay. Oh, oh, and another great Bedini line. This is a double take that um, Ginger Rogers does. Uh, Bedini <laughs> tells Ginger Rogers, my father killed a man once, just before I was born. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He smiles with pride she's like okay yeah. what the hell? it just takes
0: this extra beat for, for like ginger rogers to almost look at the camera you know like she's, she's like cueing you in like as lee said so in other words your father killed your father <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> so then we get this other funny scene where the hotel management comes to the the door of horace and jerry are talking and horace for some reason thinks it's very important that Bates takes the blame for, you know, being slapped and that like, he was the one who was messing with Dale. And this makes him so happy that Bates takes the blame for it, that Bates and um, Horace briefly make up. (laughs) And (laughs) Bates is so happy to be putting um, Horace's coat on again. They're like all cheery with each other, but then there's this like big misunderstanding where, Horace tells Bates that Jerry stepped in a hornet's nest like he means a metaphorical hornet's nest but Bates thinks it's a real hornet's nest and it's like I can't even I can't even deliver this you have to see it in the movie but it leads to yeah. this funny dialogue like and they're and they fight again they're at it again they're like arguing about the best method for curing yourself if you step in a
2: hornet's nest oh my god
0: classic I don't. Know, sorry, if I if I'm over explaining the dialogue, I apologize. I just love those two. I can't express how much I love
2: those two.
1: Yeah, that whole good. running
2: gag of them being mad at each other, kind of like <laughs> in a lovers' tiff, yes. and unable, they keep breaking up with each other. I mean, that's pretty hilarious. And their facial expressions are amazing. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. we played a
0: clip, but it does not really half capture how funny those two are. <laughs> Eric Bloor,
2: whenever they do the cutaway to that close up of him going. <sighs> you know how he breathes in and he gets really mad his yeah. nose flares it's hilarious in every movie he's ever been
0: in have you seen him in ones that aren't the astaire rogers movies has he played similar roles
2: like that or yeah. he plays himself in every single movie <laughs> and he's equally funny all of his uh, you know takes and 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 double takes and all of that they're all the same and they crack me up the same way every time <laughs> If you're a master, you just keep doing what you do, I guess. He's hired. I think he was hired specifically for his ability to pull that off on screen. Amazing guy.
0: So Horace now is worried that Dale is trying to trap Jerry into a marriage. And so Horace instructs Bates that he's going to follow Dale everywhere. And this becomes a running gag in the movie, which (laughs) Don't look at your phone while you're watching this movie. Cause you'll blink and you'll miss these really funny gags of bait, baits following them around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we lead up to our next dance number, which is top hat, white tie and tails, the title number essentially from the movie. Mm. And just before this number, Jerry finds out that Dale is the friend that Horace and Madge have been trying to set him up with and demands that they fly to Italy right after this first show. Um, like, I don't know what Broadway shows work this way, by the way, like we're opening one night and then we're not, we're off for the weekend. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. Weird. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) Totally weird. But you know, whatever, there's a lot of things that are weird in this movie. So Mm -hmm. we, we now come to the number and it features a stair and a background dancing chorus entirely of men. And they're all identically dressed in these top hats, white ties and tails. I don't think I've ever seen a number quite like this before in a movie, Mm -hmm. except, and this is hilarious. The only other movie where I've seen a number like this is in Blazing Saddles, where they break into the studio. And there's that kind of like, kind of these days, pretty homophobic, like, but I don't think Mel Brooks intended it to be homophobic, just stereotypical. But do you know what I'm Mm -hmm. talking
1: about? I don't know if I remember. I can't remember. That's it it's, it's,
0: it's this number where the western scene breaks into the studio and there's these guys <laughs> who are supposed to all be gay and top hats and tails and they're all doing an identical dance number but like they're the most gay stereotype you ever saw well anyway that's <laughs> the only other time i've seen this in a movie so i was like whoa it's the french mistake from blazing saddles what's going on that's but hilarious. have you seen poppy as a student like i'm always calling to you for this but have you seen a number of other like only men numbers in movies like with
2: identically dressed men. Is this a thing that's pretty common or? No, I have to say this is a very unique um, number. And I was reading some film analysis where people were talking about how it was something about Fred needing to step away from ideas of masculinity at the time. And I'm not sure if that's digging deep, but if you think about it, Fred is in front of this line of handsome, talented, impeccably dressed men like that. You know, what was the line in the song? It's something like I'm getting classy or something. What's that? F- oh yeah. that uh, To breathe an atmosphere that simply reeks with class. Yeah. So it's like him trying to find his place in this world. Like, is it just the, does the costume make the man? Does the costume and the top hat make the gentleman Mm. or what is it? And then it kind of like echoes back to that opening scene in the gentleman's club in London, Mm. you know, and it sort of like plays Mm -hmm. with um, gender and it plays with the politics of class and money. And this is all set against the depression. So, it's a it's a very, very interesting number. And I think the idea that the lights go out in the middle of it is also pretty dang fascinating. I don't think I've ever seen a musical number where that mm-hmm. happened. Or then, for that matter, the part at the end where he uses his cane
0: and his yes. tapping to make it seem like he's shooting down all the numbers mm-hmm. of the chorus that were dancing yeah. in back of him. And yeah, like, that is- was like what is the meaning here? Like, I don't think it might, I think it might not be that deep. I think it's just like Fred, I apparently like Fred had done this, um, this Mm -hmm. same kind of dance in a earlier Broadway musical, but that musical hadn't been super successful, but he wanted to try the effect again. And so maybe it was just simply a matter of this is a cool gimmick. I want to do it again. But like, it, it ends up being kind of weird.
2: Like totally
0: weird.
1: (laughs) It, it
2: is, but if you think about like all those men behind him, notice how they're sort of they're reacting to him. They lean back when he he's doing certain tap bits, and they lean, and then they kind of join him, and then they don't join him. And it's almost like these are his rivals, either in his mind or he's fighting against something, right? So he takes care of every single one. He eliminates every mm. single one, and he does it with the power of his tap shoes, acting like a gun or a bow and arrow or various weapons. So. There, there's definitely something behind that, you know? Maybe it's like feeling like, how could he ever justify going after Ginger Rogers' character without sort of saying, I stand alone. The cheese stands alone. I'm the best guy in the top hat, white tie on tails, you know? Huh. There's something there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I just, it's
0: like unsettling. I find it unsettling in this day mm-hmm. and age. But of course, like, yeah, they didn't anticipate the kind of mass shootings we have in our day and age. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm
0: sure they had gang. Of course, they had, like, gang violence at the time. Yeah, with prohibition mm-hmm. and
1: everything just, like, right in the rear view. But still, like, Whew. yeah. Okay, so yes, I was disturbed as well. Like this whole like shooting his chorus men in the back <laughs> with his tap shoes and what have you. But then he turns it onto to the audience where Horace <laughs> yeah. is sitting in that box of old men from the Thackeray Club or whatever. And he <laughs> yeah. makes the sound of like shooting at them and they all jump, which I thought Yo. was... Hmm.
0: They also <laughs> only show men in the audience too. So it's like this whole scene is just men, men, men.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> It makes it, and it really, it actually kind of makes me wonder. Like Mel Brooks didn't like the only thing I've seen Mel Brooks cite for the one that he did in Blazing Saddles was actually Busby Berkeley and not this movie. But it really okay. feels like like they re- like seriously. If you watch the end of Blazing Saddles, I think you can even find it um, on YouTube. Like the French Mistake, I think it's called. Okay. No, seriously, <laughs> and there's even an Eiffel Tower in the background in both. Like in the uh, Top Hat, okay. it's sort of the idea of an Eiffel Tower. It's not really fully fleshed out. But you right. like the background, as far as I can tell, is an Eiffel Tower. So I'm like, what's going on here? Anyway, yeah.
1: Huh.
2: And also, Jennifer, I just want to see if you look at the choreography too, it's really impressive. But do you remember, like, I guess it's towards the opening of the number, how all that whole chorus line of men in Top Hat and Tails they kind of march up over the hill,
1: mm. right? Oh, so it's yeah. like
2: it's mm. almost like they're marching on Fred. Mm. It, it's, it's a, it, I think that number really, um, stands up to deeper scrutiny because mm. there is definitely something going on there it was so impressive I've never seen so many men in gorgeous evening clothes in one, <laughs> on one stage you know
0: yeah. yeah like it's a whole different kind of dress too it's like yeah just to like really quick to do the the beginning of the lyric like I'm putting on a top hat tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails, like Mm -hmm. tails. Like I don't, I'm I'm sure most modern men have never worn tails. Like to be honest, like even at their wedding, maybe. And then this is like this word duding I've never seen used before, but apparently it was the right word. I'm duding up my shirt front, putting in my shirt studs, polishing my nails. It's like, so like today that would be like so metrosexual, but that was
2: just like what was expected of a certain class of men. For, for oldly when years. he did the when he did the polishing movement on his palms, and I thought, God, I don't know that I've ever known a modern man to sit to polish his nails. But that was definitely what a gentleman did at the time. I've never even well, I have polished my nails, but not much.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Fred Astaire is much more like a done up than I am. So there you go. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Shall we go to the Lido? Shall we go to Venice?
2: Yes,
1: let's take us to Venice. <laughs> that-
0: that authentic set. So so first, but first I want to say, like, I was really confused um, by what the Lido was. So I had to look it up. Apparently the Lido is the name of an island in Venice. And in the 1930s, it was the site of many hotels. And it was also a place where planes could land. So it's not actually as absurd as it seems to see that plane like coming right into the, where they're staying at the resort. At first I was like, "Oh, come on, the plane's landing there," but apparently the plane could land there. So, <laughs> Jennifer, I've stayed on the Lido.
1: Have you?
2: Yes. Oh my
1: god. What? And it's not
2: like super it, it's not super it's not right next to Venice. I mean, it takes a little while, but for sure it is a big island. Oh, yes, wow. planes could definitely land on it. And All yes, right. when I stayed there in the 80s tons of hotels like um acapulco beach or something like that wow. so as yeah as poppy was alluding to this set looks
0: like um <laughs> kind of, it looks like venice disney world it looks like it's epcot center's version of venice, venice, <laughs> venice essentially you know yeah. like when you have the travel uh, yeah. around the world thing at epcot center yeah. <laughs> Yes, but I, I found a reason for that might have been like they had actually for an instant they're like well maybe we should go on location and then they're like oh wait Italy is fascist. So like that was something that was suggested oh. by some of the commentary I saw because Benito Mussolini was already in charge in Italy oh and fascism had already sort of taken over. So it's like, do we want to film
1: there? Mm. Like, like, Or do we
0: want to like preserve our fantasy version of Venice, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And wow. maybe it was
0: even, they didn't want to be complicit with the fascist yeah. government. I don't sure. know, but it may have just been an aesthetic thing too. Like, oh, mm-hmm. not, not so pretty.
2: Wow. Right. And Venice would sure. not, the, the real streets and canals of venice like that would not be a very easy location shoot mm-hmm. i wouldn't think
1: yeah that's true well, too. and it makes me feel like they're not wanting it to be purely venice because they've got people like swimming and floating on floaties in the canal it's like <laughs> yeah. clearly this is just <sighs> meant to be a suggestion right. of venice not Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true.
0: I was trying to decide, like, is the movie meaning us to think that that's the actual canal, or is the movie meaning us to think that that's a pool at a hotel? I couldn't even really determine what the movie wanted yeah. us to think about that.
1: I started to feel like it was a pool at the hotel, and maybe you could, like, then lead out, because they have got those, you know, gondolas there. And- yeah, the, the gondolas with air quotes around them. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but they can somehow get out into the sea, so, like, yeah. perhaps it's... <laughs> you know connected there's an entrance and exit or what have you so i think it's meant to be a pool it's pretty amazing Mm. whatever it is yeah Uh, yeah
0: and and i think we mentioned this before but just to mention again it was two stories high the set built on two adjoining sound stages with a canal built across both of the sound stages and apparently the water was dyed black to maximize the contrast with the big white set Mm, wow big,
2: big excitement there (laughs)
0: I want to go to Venice Disneyland or
2: you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, where you can sit at a cafe table right adjacent to the canal and watch Mm -hmm. Eric Bloor like float by on a floaty yeah that's right
0: yeah Dale and Madge or or, sorry well first we see first we see um, Dale and Bedini arrive right and like Mm -hmm. as soon as they arrive there's Eric Bloor trailing right behind them and somehow he's (laughs) in all this resort wear that he just magically got somewhere (laughs) along the way this man is like magical he has powers
2: Yes, he does.
0: <laughs> and mm-hmm. then imagine, um, imagine Dale are talking, and and yeah, like you said, Eric Fleur flight floats by in the pool right beside them, and Lee actually pointed that out to me because I had looked down at my phone for more of a moment, and Lee's like, "Look, look, Jen," and I'm like, "What?" and I'm like, "Oh,", oh so like, don't don't yeah. look at your phone during this movie; you will miss like yeah. nuggets of brilliance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So Dale is then telling Madge that Horace was her, like Madge's husband, was pursuing her in London. And of course, she was really, was really talking about Jerry, but nobody knows. Total misunderstanding thing going on. And it's funny because Madge just seems kind
2: of intrigued. Like, oh, I didn't know uh, he, he could be that active. I swear, wow. Helen Patrick in this movie, she's like my favorite character. <laughs> she's exactly. how She acts about marriage. It is just awesome. I love it. Then Horace is telling
0: Jerry a story about this woman at the zoo. Like you guys were talking about before with the storks and everything. But what's interesting, like he's telling the story as if he had sort of an assignation with this woman, but then he said, I forgot myself and let her kiss me. Like note, let her kiss me. Not I didn't kiss her. I let her kiss me.
2: Right. Right. Right.
0: So that's where another piece of my evidence that I'm building in my file for like this character Mm. is coded as somewhat gay. What do, you, what do you think what do you think tell Ooh, me more or,
1: or i don't know maybe not, i don't know because he it seemed to mean meant a lot to him you know because he kept it from his wife and i don't know i think he's I mean, maybe he's bisexual. in everybody
0: i don't know but he's not yeah. very interested or madge would not be surprised you know what i'm saying she seems pretty surprised like oh oh i don't know he's I a hard know. one to read this horse yeah yeah, but again, with the storks, so they were like looking at the birds at the zoo and she was scared of
1: storks or something. Is that what it was? Right. He's like, oh, she was very afraid of birds, especially the stork. And I'm like, yeah, the stork, because that's what brings the babies. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. She She's afraid of that. She don't get knocked up fool. like, but the way he plays <laughs> it is just oh my God. like interesting yeah. fact. Right. Yeah, it's God. a,
0: it's a very strange side story. It doesn't it really is. Yeah. And so Dale comes up with a plan then to scare Jerry, who of course she thinks is Horace by going down to his hotel room and pretending that she's trying to trap him into marriage by recalling another time they had supposedly met and had a full fledged um, love affairs, like uh, with sex involved somewhere in France. And Jerry, Jerry knows that this didn't happen but he kind of goes along with it and he's really confused, but yeah. he decides he wants to marry her anyway.
1: Yeah, That whole thing was so bonkers to me. I'm like, what? It wasn't funny. I wasn't catching innuendo. I'm like, well, this is just bonkers. So what is <laughs> your take on all that guys? I-, I don't know. Well, it was almost
2: like it was sort of like um Ginger set off to like, show him a thing or two but then her getting the tables turned on her was like Mm. oh my god you know like i'm in very deep like i thought i could control this and handle the man which is like you know women's role since time immemorial but she found out the tables were turned because of his passion he's you know one step ahead of her and i do love the line though when he turns to horace and says you know, he's he, Horace is expressing some kind of misgivings about this whole thing. And then he says, You handle her past. I'm about to go upstairs and talk about her future. Yeah. That's a kind of really cool line, you know? And it's like, This guy is like hell bent on getting with this woman. I think maybe
0: this whole thing where she acts so seductively to him might be one of those ways of getting around the Hays Code to have a flirtatious yeah. scene, you know, yes. but like, but she doesn't mean it. So it's
2: okay. Yes, so. <laughs> Right. We can't, we can't have a woman expressing sexual or any other kind of desire without someone trying to get in there and tamp it down and control it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So guys, I've got a
0: treat for you here in the next scene. Oh, I'm well, so I don't excited. know if it's a treat. We, we have, haven't done this in a while, like a full-fledged every rom-com theater. So, Poppy, you're, you're being pulled into our theater.
1: I hope, hope you really here. There
0: are three parts. And so this is the scene where Madge and Dale are at dinner, and they're kind of waiting for Jerry and Horace to get there. And, of course, Dale is dreading, you know, the appearance of Jerry, who she thinks is Horace, because she's like, oh, you're trying to have an affair with me, and your wife's right here, and this is awkward. So we're going to do a little every rom-com theater of their discussion as Jerry arrives. And we have to choose some parts up here. So Mm, I want to be mad. Okay. (laughs) I'm kind of partial to Jerry, but is that okay Okay. with you? Dale doesn't have as many lines. I'm fine with being Dale. All right. So are we all ready for every Mm. rom-com theater?
1: Let us begin. What's the matter? I'm afraid I'm going to have a headache. Oh, don't go. This is a meeting I've been planning a long time. Good evening. It's nice to see you again, Miss Tremont. You've robbed me of the pleasure of introducing you two. You've already met. Oh, yes, we've met. Last spring. I hope
0: you see a lot of each other. You know, Madge is the most understanding person. She seems to know instinctively the kind of girl that interests me. I don't know what I'd do without her.
1: That's sweet of you, darling. You two run along and dance, and don't give me another thought. Hmm, that's what I'm afraid of. I think Madge is a very
2: brave person.
0: Yes, I have a tremendous admiration for her.
2: Well, if Madge doesn't care, I certainly don't. Neither do I. All I know is that it's heaven, heaven, in heaven, heaven, in heaven. In heaven. And then we
1: go I've right been into singing the song. it all week long, too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. So we've got this scene and I, okay. Like, I love this because this is a scene where basically Dale believes that, that Madge and Horace are in an open relationship and that she's being pimped out to be like, go dance with somebody's husband. Like this is like, so the most romantic scene in this film and possibly the most romantic dance number in any musical is a scene yeah. where a woman thinks that she's dancing with someone's husband. That the, the wife just said, "Oh yeah, go ahead, please." There's even this like little cut to like Madge like smiling widely and like pushing like pushing yeah. them towards yeah. each other, making gestures yeah. that they should get closer. And yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. bonkers. Yes. That is bonkers. It's- like I just get a it's like. How was is- so great? Yeah, I don't know. But People y'all, that you know was that funny. That- it couldn't be as funny as it
2: is if it weren't for the predominance of monogamy at the time, mm-hmm. right? It wouldn't, that that okay. joke wouldn't be as, as pertinent now, but it's, oh, it must have been. It, most people are still pretty monogamous. I'm yeah, I guess laugh. you're right. What am I saying? Yeah. But yeah. I just mean, it must have been so outrageous. I suspect that divorce, I don't know what the percentage of divorce was at that time, but People did go to Reno, they did get divorced, but it was not an everyday thing. So the idea that this woman would be so casually offering her husband yeah. up to Dale is yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And she's
0: just like, well, I guess if Madge doesn't mind, <laughs> she's
2: like, I certainly don't. It was like, okay, <laughs> throw our hands up in the air. I'm being encouraged, you know. Yeah, so good.
0: It's it's wild. I love it. I love it. And so yeah. I'm I'm now gonna before we talk about the 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 song and the dance and the costumes of the whole, I'm gonna play a clip now of the song because it's such a beautiful song. And yeah. um, I just think we should hear the real article singing it instead of me. or right? One one of you might be able to do it better, but but yeah, we're gonna put this
3: on. All I know is that it's heaven.
1: I realized I didn't cut that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Jennifer got caught up again. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. okay. It is. It's so lovely.
2: Hmm. And do you guys notice too the uh the music goes suddenly soft? Do, right where mm. you cut where where that cut off. It, it's so dynamic mm-hmm. and then it goes quiet. Yeah. And then there are certain like the her back bend that he, you know, he's dipping her and that mm-hmm. back the arch of the back there, there are just some very beautiful change-ups in this dance too. Yeah. It's a
0: very, it's a very dramatic number. It starts out, you know, with a casual conversation and he even stops dancing at one point and is just leaning against the wall. Like I love mm-hmm. to go out fishing at that point. He's just kind of casually talking with her, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, they cross the bridge at one point. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's almost like for me, it was like two sections. Like the first part, they're sort of dancing in the ballroom, but then they mm-hmm. cross a bridge and they are like alone on the other yeah. part of the set, right? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it's like they've entered into a fantasy world, like they've entered into heaven, as it were, mm. right? And her dress yeah. with the feathers looks so angelic at the same time. And point. It's yeah. creating this like otherworldly effect. And yeah, and then you said with the backbends in that dance, like she's doing these dramatic movements, like these romantic movements. It's you all of a sudden you're transcending into a totally different world than the sort of mundane world of this plot. And it's silly jokes and it's like
1: comic misunderstandings.
0: And yeah, it's wild.
1: Anyway, sorry. I I don't want to hog the hog the microphone. No, it is. It's completely stepping into a a beautiful love story in this moment with the song and the dress Mm -hmm. and the dance and. You, I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, and if I'm
2: not, if I'm remembering right, in the beginning, maybe they touch cheeks, but really, they don't go cheek to cheek until the final steps of that whole dance. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're leading up to, it's like a sexual game and, and kind of courting. And then mm-hmm. finally, they go into each other's arms and they do go, they do go cheek to cheek. Huh. Am I remembering that right? I'm
0: I wasn't monitoring it for that specific thing, but that's yeah, may, I I'll believe you because I didn't check that.
2: Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. And like those those back bends, I think the arched back. It's like he keeps dipping her lower and lower. He does mm-hmm. it I think 3 times. It's mm-hmm. very open. Her body is so like I'm ravished and I am I am at your mercy kind of position, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like a position of surrender, basically. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the little dress here. Like we did the allude dress. to it earlier Ooh. in the podcast. But yeah, yeah this dress um, was this beautiful gown. And it, on screen, it appears to be white. But I guess it was ice blue in actuality.
1: Mm-hmm. Or at least
0: according to some publicity photos that were shown. And there are all these feathers at the top of the dress. And then the, it's backless in the back. Mm-hmm. And the feathers like astaire was really annoyed by them apparently because they flew off the costume they flew onto his face and onto his costume i did catch like at least three or four feathers flying when i was watching the movie mm-hmm. carefully i mean it yeah. certainly doesn't disturb me as an audience but i can imagine that probably <laughs> they were getting up you know
1: fred astaire's nose possibly and stuff well like hers that. too she gets dipped and they fall fall into her face too and i'm like mm-hmm. yeah i can right. see that suck. <laughs> face full of those feathers and to still maintain this like in love and you know beautiful number with no but rogers rogers though had the vision
0: for what it would look like and how it would move and like what would work on her body whereas astaire wasn't really thinking quite in those terms like um rogers in her autobiography wrote i was determined to wear this dress come hell or high water and why not it moved beautifully Obviously, no one in the cast or crew was willing to take sides, particularly not my side. This was all right with me. I'd had to stand alone before. At least my mother was there to support me in the confrontation with the entire front office, plus Fred Astaire and Mark Sandridge. So it
1: sounded like she really had to fight for this. Well, and the payoff. After the release of the film, Astaire gave Rogers a gold charm of a feather on it and said, you were right. Which, I love that. I love that. Yeah, anybody much. anybody
0: watching the movie, anybody watching the movie would like you you notice you notice the costume but it doesn't overpower the scene, but it right. but it elevates the scene.
2: Yes. yes.
0: Can you imagine that scene with just like another standard dress even? Like I can't, really.
1: No. Even the pretty things that she wears later on, you know, at the end scene and uh, all of her dresses were stunning. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, she was right. It moved beautifully. It just is. It was butter with the with all of their slaying <laughs> back and forth and twirling. It's it's lovely, and it created this like cloud. Like I'm on a cloud yeah. in heaven, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. perfect exactly. for it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a huge part of why the scene's
0: iconic, and so credit yeah. to Ginger Rogers for you yes. know, standing her ground and having you know a creative role in her costuming. Yeah,
2: very totally. Good. So
0: after the dance, um, this beautiful dance, Jerry asks Dale to marry him and he gets slapped again. (laughs) (laughs) And she, and she says, how could I have fallen in love with anyone as low as you? And then what Jerry takes from this is she loves me.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh gosh.
1: I want to point out again, if just going back a titch, after the dance is over, they're just kind of, I don't know, again, leaning up on a wall or something like that. And dale slash ginger has a whole dialogue in her head about this moment and it just is on her face right like mm-hmm. i'm in love this is beautiful but then she you know frowns a little bit like this is so wrong and she walks herself out into the balcony and that's where you know fred comes in and is like i'm marrying me and this and that but again just pointing out like i feel like her acting chops were really really good mm-hmm. and then she did a whole thing with like two expressions on her face and you knew what she was thinking yeah
0: yeah for sure all right are we ready for the spoiler section
1: yeah all
0: right we're now we're now going to go into the spoiler section and so if you have not seen top hat yet go out to your library or i think it's on a few streaming services too and watch top hat for goodness sakes you will not regret it it is a cinema classic and you really need to get it into your repertoire anyway We're now going to, we can talk, talk about anything else that happens in the movie. Spoiler section begins. So Dale goes over to Madge now and tells Madge that Horace has asked her to marry him. And by the way, I love that Dale and Madge are like such good friends and that there's no animosity between them and that Dale's really honest with Madge. And then Madge is really sweet to Dale. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no like women fighting over a man in this movie. Um, right i mean in some ways it's a little unrealistic even how casual madge is but (laughs) yeah but but madge is like don't worry i'll deal with horace and then we see how she's dealt with horace horace comes back to jerry with a black eye meanwhile bedini proposes to dale and she really sadly accepts then bates is still lurking around and he overhears (laughs) this proposal (laughs) but he's also just magically there to help like Horace with put a stake on his eye too. So it's like a whole Bates is everywhere. Bates Bates is is everywhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then Horace and Jerry talk to Madge together and they start to unravel what's happened with the misunderstanding. Meanwhile, Jerry finds out that Dale has gotten married to Bedini and so Jerry goes to prevent this marriage from being consummated. And we get this really funny scene where Jerry's like sitting in the honeymoon suite in like Bedini's bed. It's like, it's like, this is my room. And he said, this is my room. And, and Bedini says, but I have the key. And Jerry's like, but I have the key. And Bedini goes, but I'm Bedini. And Jerry says, you got me there, pal.
2: Yeah. Ah. Oh, my
0: God. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But this isn't even really the real plot for preventing like consummation. He then, like, Jerry then, like, runs upstairs. Dale comes in to get ready for her honeymoon. By the way, Bedini is like singing a song to himself in the mirror while Dale comes in about how great yeah. Bedini is. Yeah. Yeah. Bedini, I'm so glad you're not skinny. Or something like that. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. Can you imagine you just got married and this is your husband? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So you no, know, Jerry's new plot is that he's going to once again, go in the room upstairs from Dale. He like somehow bribes someone to like be in this room upstairs. And again, yeah. he's going to tap dance on the ceiling. So rule of threes. This is the third time he's gone above Dale in some way. Um, the first being in the other hotel room, the second being in the carriage. And now we've got three, he's above Dale again. He's tap dancing and his whole plot, which works for some reason is that Bedini's going to come upstairs Horace is going to keep him busy. Jerry's going to go downstairs and get Dale. And this works for some reason. But of course, this also then leads to Bedini like, oh shit. And we forgot to say that Bedini had threatened Horace when he first arrived at the hotel. So there's been this whole running gag of Bedini, of Horace being scared of Bedini because he's been like threatening him. And now here Bedini is with his sword about to like, you know, poke it at Horace until Madge comes in and Madge
1: doesn't even look like she's going to stop it for a minute. No, she doesn't. She's like, uh doesn't she doesn't stop it. Doesn't she say something, you know, funny again? I yeah, I don't remember what she says, but she basically was like, oh you know, it's fine. It's
0: it'll all work out or something. And but Bedini's like, well, I can't do this in front of a lady. So
1: Right, right. That's <laughs> oh what my God. Yeah.
0: And so but What happens, though, somehow Horace and Madge and Bedini then get to talking. We don't see their conversation, but they unravel the mistaken identity plot. And then Bedini gives Horace the two kisses on his cheeks. And Helen Broderick says, don't mind me,
2: boys. Go right ahead. (laughs) Yes. I forgot I was going to talk about the line. One of my favorite Helen Broderick lines is when they're standing at the trunk and Ginger is... um, is packing and Magic I hey, to tell you, but your husband proposed to me and she says something like, Hmm, so he wants to marry you and divorce me. Well, we both got what we want then. Or something oh, like that. Okay. Do you remember that line? I don't
0: remember that line, but I'm not Oh but I'm not saying it's not there. I just don't remember all of them. Yeah.
2: It was awesome. I was like, oh my God, that's just her character in this movie is just hilarious. How lackadaisical she is about the whole institution of marriage. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's one where she's like, I bet Horace will want me to pay myself (laughs) alimony.
2: Yeah, that was funny too. She just doesn't give a flying flip. Love it.
0: So the rest of this plot is super convoluted. Um, but Basically, on one side, Madge Horace and Bedini have figured out the mistaken identity plot. And on the other side, Dale and Jerry are in one of these gondolas and Bates, Bates is the gondolier. They don't know it's Bates, but Bates is dressed as a gondolier, (laughs) rowing them around. And and they have also figured out the mistaken identity. And now Dale's all happy because, Oh, this is the, this man is eligible. I can marry him, whatever. Mm -hmm. And Bates then falls out of the gondola. And (laughs) he, he, then goes to tell Horace madge Bedidi that Dale and Jerry have floated off to sea. So then they all get in a boat to rescue Dale and Jerry. But in fact, Bates has not put gasoline in their boat and then they end up stranded at sea. And I'm like, Bates is like kind of this weird mastermind at this point in the plot. Yeah.
1: He's a little chaos
0: agent. <laughs> so Bates is like shipping Dale and Jerry at this point.
2: It's
0: like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So as originally scripted, though, interestingly enough, and they had to change this for the Hayes Code, Esther um, and Rogers, Dale and Jerry, were the ones who were supposed to float out onto the bay together um, and spend the night together in a boat. But they scrapped that. So, But Dale and Jerry did not really end up lost at sea. We see them walking back, towing their gondola with them. And mm-hmm. then Bates shows up and tells them that the others are now stranded in a boat. Like, how he knows this is beyond me, but he knows everything. All right. Um, and then there's this really small random scene where Bates gets arrested because he like is impersonating a gondolier and he insults this Italian police officer. which what do you guys what do you guys think of that scene? That <laughs> scene
2: was awesome. Okay, I, yeah? well, it's set the setup is do you understand English? And he says something like grazie or si, si. And, and so Bates believes that the man understands not a word and starts these Amazing insults to a a man with a badge. I mean, it's like a fantasy that we all would have. Like, let's just tell this authority figure what we really think because we'll have no repercussions. But with them, when the man whips out that booklet and starts reading to him in English what he has violated, all the ordinances or whatever these violated, that is like choice. And I'm surprised they didn't cut that out because it really doesn't it ultimately doesn't really add to the yeah, plot, right. but it was so well done. I think they probably left it in because it was just perfect. Eric
1: Blore, <laughs> Did it work for you? Soph? no, I thought it was totally bonkers. I'm like, what are you doing? You're gonna, Why is he being so mean? All What is going on? <laughs> like I just thought it was silly. I thought it was silly. It yeah. is silly.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a silly movie in some ways. And speaking of silly right. things, we now come to the Piccolino. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh my God. The earworm to end all earworms. Oh my God. Well, not as bad as the continental. So. Um, okay. True.
0: So speaking oh. of the picolino and the continental, so this the picolino dance number is the third in a series of big final dance numbers in a stare Rogers movies, which okay. is centered around a supposed popular dance that they, the filmmakers have obviously made up out of their, you know, asses um, mm-hmm. that, that comes from some other country. The first two were the Carioca from flying down to Rio and the Continental from the Gay divorce And the Continental, mm. I think it's like 17 minutes long or something.
2: Oh, that number is redonkulous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the Picolino, which was interesting to me, I, I've seen several sources that say the Picolino was probably actually a spoof or a satire in some ways yeah. of these other numbers because Irving yeah. Berlin's lyrics, um, just make it so clear that this is a fake thing, right? Mm -hmm. They go by the Adriatic waters, Venetian sons and daughters are strumming a new tune upon their guitars. It was written by a Latin, a gondolier who sat in his home out in Brooklyn and gazed at the stars. (laughs) I know. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Oh my God. So so it's kind of pointing out that this is actually written by someone in New York. And like, it's not really people in Venice singing this song. And this is the only thing Ginger Rogers really gets to sing though, in the movie. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like
0: I think her voice is not bad, but she doesn't get to sing that much. Dale and Jerry actually sit down at a table when this is playing. And Dale's wedding cake is there with the little miniature bedini on the cake. (laughs) oh my god and they're told that the carnival is about to start and then that's when the piccolino comes up and first they're watching the dance and then they get into the dance what do you guys think of the picolino and the dance number
2: i'm not a fan of these big like specialty numbers and you can tell it was like playing to the audience like let's have them go out and humming a tune you know or let's have them go out and learn the piccolino yeah. themselves. Yeah. Like I read, is this right? That the, it's something about them lifting their foot up off the ground and it kind of, is it? That step is the piccolino. I don't know. I should have looked that up. I don't know. Yeah, you might be you right. You know how when at, the, at the end, when she's, okay, let's just talk about Ginger being in a fur coat over her evening gown for the final scene. Mm-hmm. What is that supposed to indicate? They're off to their honeymoon? Maybe. Their wedding? I, I really did feel like we're supposed to get a just married vibe off of
0: them.
1: Like, that's the vibe I got, but I don't know yeah, why. Like, yeah, now they're it- off on their honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, it was just odd to me, but it was do you remember they they they're holding each other in it's a partner dance and they turn and look back over their shoulder and kick their heels up. Huh? As they're turning and I thought I read that that was the so-called piccolino dance. I mean, um,
0: you're get, I, you may be right. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. But yeah, it's, I, it's but not who, as obvious as the karaoke where you put your heads together and spin around.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, it was right. I thought it was for a big grand number, kind of yeah, kind of lame and dorky. I was like, (laughs) so so unimpressed. Actually, I'm like, those are your moves. Like, these are your, this is your chorus. This, these are your dancers. Um, Yeah, and yeah, the song is so silly, and it even says like, and we know they wrote some words to fit this catchy bit, and christened christened it the picolina. Like, the whole thing is just
2: (laughs) right,
1: a (laughs) silly. He Number. just decided,
2: let's go out with some sarky nonsense, you know? Like, let's just yeah. do it. Do you, yeah, get the, do you get the feeling that
0: maybe the studio told Irving Berlin that he had to write one of these big things and he didn't want to? Because that's like, I don't know what the backstory is there, but I wonder mm-hmm. if that was the case. Like, if they're like, well, we, we did so well with the Continental and the Karaoke, we need another one of these. Like, oh, Irving, maybe. you got to write one for us. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I, I could know. totally see that. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, Fine. <laughs> like. yeah i mean because really think about irving berlin's catalog the piccolino
0: actually he he did write some weird songs when i was studying him for white christmas he did write some gimmick songs in his early days like he was like a oh, songwriter okay. for hire so he was writing yes you know catchy, right. you know spur of the moment but i think probably it wasn't like you know what he aspired to per se necessarily if you look at some yeah. of the other songs in this movie i don't yeah. know yeah I mean, it's not a terrible dance scene. It's got, like, some things where they've got the string that they're pulling the women back and forward. But it's like, we don't care about the chorus, people. We just want to see Fred right. and Ginger totally. Rogers Totally. So, yeah, now we're moving on to the end of the movie. Um, Horace, Madge, and Bedini get back from the boat ride. And Bedini's sniffling. <laughs> and and Horace is, like, sleeping with the fish, like, the, the actual <laughs> fish that have been caught. And meanwhile, Madge just walks off like, she's like, you know, I'm fine.
1: I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. elegant.
0: A hotel employee yeah. then tells Horace that he's bailed Bates out of jail and Horace seems happy. I don't know why that scene's in there, but he's happy. informational, I guess. Yeah. And then Dale and Jerry go to talk to Bedini. And at first they're like kind of worried because like, oh, Dale's still married. But then Bates shows up and it turns out that he's the one who married Dale and Bedini by turning his collar around because <laughs> he's yeah. been following Dale the whole time.
2: <laughs> oh my God. And yeah. so,
0: yeah, they're all happy they can get married. And then we see dale put on her coat and they're walking over the bridge and it looks like they've just gotten married like that's the idea i think everybody yeah, gets uh, yeah.
1: jerry's in a top hat and he's in his yeah. like you know coat and what have you yeah mm-hmm. so before we get to our double feature recommendations i want to like clean up
0: any like i want to finish up with any random notes or thoughts that you had about the film as a whole or just like little things that we missed along the way
2: Well, first of all, I think it's worth looking up some analysis of each of the big dance numbers, because there is a lot of mileage in each one. And it's debatable, but it's interesting to look at different film theorists' theories about those dance numbers. Mm -hmm. And then I think Mm. you're right that it's worth a second and even third viewing to catch all of the very witty things <laughs> that kind of fly under the radar that you miss in the lines the first time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah this movie definitely pays off on subsequent viewings. I would say. Mm-hmm. yeah, Yes. And yeah. I also like um, Arlene Croce, who's a scholar of a and Rogers um, said in her book, you can view Esther Rogers films as chapters in a single Epic romance. And I mm-hmm. thought that was so apt because like, yeah, they're playing they're not playing similar characters every time but they're they're similar enough that you can just be like there they are again oh oh it's like more so than like with other actors maybe we don't even really have actors who pair together that often anymore like you're excited Mm -hmm. if you get to see people together twice or three times sometimes right right Uh, Right.
2: and this is yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. And
0: probably because of the studio system, I guess. But like even within the studio system, they may be the most famous duo. I don't know.
2: Well, I'm mm. thinking about the Thin Man series. Okay, with, yeah, um, yeah. Myrna Loy. Myrna um, yeah. Loy. Yeah. And you could argue, too, that the trope really, it's based on some famous um, stories, but as the series went on, they were original scripts and you could argue that the trope was exactly the same. And I think that's what audiences wanted. They wanted to see Nick and Nora Charles in similar scrapes with a similar playful banter. And it's like Fred and Ginger. The trope is, Ginger's annoyed with him at first, she's smarter than him, he's just a puppy dog in love, he wears her down. It's pretty much the same thing. The plot just changes, but it's the same dynamic every yeah. time. But I love it. And then
0: um what do you guys think of this Catherine Hepburn quote? I kept uh finding it whenever I was looking at stuff about them. Mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn famously said, "Fred gave Ginger class and Ginger gave Fred sex."
1: Uh, I mean, I think she's already classy. I, I mean, that's but what I think was gonna say. she gave him sex. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think she brought in a depth.
2: Uh, that's like a backhanded compliment. She, there was something yeah. low class about Ginger Rogers. Yeah. I think it's maybe,
0: maybe it's, she's alluding to like, I'm going give to a, give a nice, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to assume nice intentions here and say that maybe she's alluding to the types that Ginger Rogers was playing before these movies. Like in the Busby Berkeley movies, she was often the scheming gold digging woman Mm who is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Who's a little, a little saucy or a flapper type. Who's a little like, yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's what she meant, but maybe Catherine Mm -hmm. Hepburn was being snooty. I don't know. Oh, and one other interesting thing to note, um, so in the commentary, it was pointed out that at the end of the dance numbers, uh, they would often leave a space, a beat or two for the audiences in the theater to applaud. And I think that's oh. probably true of a lot of the older musicals when I really think about it. And that's because people would go to the movie theater and they would applaud at the end. Right. I like that. I, think I mean, I, cool. yeah, I think it still happens sometimes in, in mm-hmm. some extraordinary moments in movies. If you go to them with a big crowd where you'll see people clap yeah. a little bit. But then yeah. it was much more common, I think so.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so we're now going to do our double feature recommendations. First, I'm going to do my double feature recommendations. So my first recommendation is The Gay Divorcee from 1934. And this is the movie of Oster and Rogers that a lot of people say Top Head is sort of a remake of in some ways. It's not exactly the same plot, but there are a lot of similar elements. And I think it would be really fun to watch them together because you get, again, Edward Everett Horton hanging out. And Eric Bloor. Eric Bloor isn't as prominent in this one. Edward Everett Horton, however, actually gets his own dance number in this one. Let's knock knees. So if you can imagine uh, um, Horace from this movie in an in a old fashioned bathing suit with like a tank top and shorts, um, dancing with, with swimming ladies in this kind of adorable, awkward way. Like that's what happens in the gay divorcee. Can you imagine it, Sophia?
1: Have you got it in your head? Yes, and it's fantastic.
2: (laughs) It's amazing. That number is so sexy in a kind of innocent way. (laughs) It's fantastic. I love the dances in the Gay Divorcee are worth the price of admission. They're some of my favorite Astaire Rogers dances. Yeah, because
0: that's That's also got the Night and Day dance, the song Mm -hmm. Night and Day. Mm -hmm. They dance to that, and that's another beautiful romantic dance number as well. And then, mm-hmm. and then we also have Eric Rhodes playing Tonetti, who is another <laughs> over-the-top Italian character. And his role in this movie is he's supposed to, like, um, show up at Ginger Rogers' hotel room so that her husband she wants to divorce will find them together and let them get divorced, right? So he's playing... Oh and he's supposed to tell Ginger Rogers a code phrase, which is, chance is the fool's name, or chance is a fool's name for fate, but he keeps fucking it up, which is the funny part. He's <laughs> right. just like, Fate is the foolish thing. Take a chance, or give me a name for a chance, and I am a fool. Like, oh <laughs> like, how, like, how many ways? The joke is how many ways can this guy misinterpret this phrase? He's yeah, and man, I, he's so fucking funny. I love him so much. Say I'm swearing. Whenever I swear, it means I really like a thing. So <laughs> usually. All right, so my second double feature recommendation is going to be gold diggers of 1933 uh, from 1933, pretty obviously. And this is because of two reasons. Number one, you get the Ginger Rogers. We're in the money number where she does the pig Latin, which is fantastic. And she's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. She's in this amazing costume. And also yeah. I just think it's good. Like especially if you haven't seen a lot of older musicals, like I hadn't, to see this mm-hmm. other style and compare and contrast it with the Esther Rogers movies, this this other style okay. of filming um, dancers and singers, and mm-hmm. it's and it's so beautiful. Busby Berkeley's work, like as a choreographer and a director of the dance scenes, it's it's so artistic and it seems like still so contemporary, so modern when you watch it. Mm-hmm. So
2: super, also a really solid plot in that one, I think.
0: Yeah, I can't remember the plot. I kind of remember the plot, but like, yeah, but the plot wasn't the important part for me. It was more these like oh. gorgeous dance scenes. And Ginger Rogers, to be fair, is not a huge character in this film. Like, she's not mm-hmm. the star. That's um, Ruby Keeler and Joan Blondell, or the stars more. Yeah. But she- Ginger Rogers plays kind of a naughty um, lady who's trying to like, uh, Well, they're actually all gold
2: diggers. They're all trying to get a man. But I think most of them are trying to get a man. But but I think, sorry to interrupt, I think the important part of this plot is that it's the depression. Mm -hmm. They are theater girls and they are out of work. And it so happens to come across the transom that somebody is putting on a show and they get all excited. And the whole story is about we all need this work. Yeah. yeah. We need this show and there are real stakes to it. And I really love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Ginger Rogers though is kind of playing more of the lady that the other girls don't get along with. So it's a totally different role for her. So it's really interesting to see that. Yes. And then my final recommendation is The Purple Rose of Cairo from 1985. Oh. Reason being that um Mia Farrow in this movie and it's kind of a spoiler actually about the movie. Well, sorry, close your ears if you don't want the spoiler. She she watches the scene from Top Hat like at the end of this movie and it's mm-hmm. and it's meant to like really express like the poignancy of being in the depression. And having these fantasies about what the movie world could be as compared to your world. And it's like such and that's the first time I saw or heard about um, Top Hat because I had seen uh, Purple Rose of Cairo when I was a little kid. We had it on a videotape and I watched it a lot of times. Right. And so Mm. so it was already that image was already with me. And it's used so well, so masterfully in this movie. Mm -hmm. And the the plot of the movie itself, I used it as a double feature for Midnight in Paris as well. But the plot is Mm -hmm. that this Mia Farrow plays a woman in the depression. Her life isn't so great. She goes to the movies all the time. And she goes to this particular movie so many times, The Purple Rose of Cairo, that the kind of one of the heroes from that movie sees her in the audience and comes down out of the screen. The movie character does and then they have yeah. a romance together. It's, it's, so, it's, it's done so well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the funniest part, too, is like the characters who are still in the movie are then like arguing about what are we going to do now? There's no, <laughs> like, <laughs> our character's gone. We can't move the plot forward. And one of yeah. the guys, Edward Herman, is so much like Edward Everett Horton in his mannerisms. Aww. So I just love it. Okay, like, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm talking too much about it, but I think they would be a really good uh, counterpoint to each other.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Now shut up now and let other people do double features. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Um I'll go in in chronological order. So I wanted to check out kind of a lesser-known film of Ginger and Fred. So I chose uh Follow the Fleet from 1936. Um mm-hmm, yeah. and I liked it. Okay, and we talked about how we like seeing Ginger's legs and like her movement there is a very short in the middle of the film dance that she does. She's doing an audition and she's got a very short uh fringy skirt on and you get to see her do crazy awesome tap dancing. Mm-hmm. So worth it for that i like seeing uh fred in a sailor uniform <laughs> yeah top hats and stuff like that he's so cute mm-hmm. oh and,
2: my
0: god uh, oh my god can i say the scene where he plays the piano and he's smoking the cigarette i was like oh like yeah <laughs> oh sorry yeah. okay
1: that's all it's good and it's got like a plot with her sister and uh you know ginger's got a sister in this and they're you know it's Harriet from Ozzie and Harriet in an
2: early. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's her in her, before she got married to Ozzie Nelson. That was, what's her last name in that? I'm forgetting now, but yes, that's some Harriet from Ozzie and Harriet. I thought she was wonderful
1: in fall of the fleet. She is. She's really lovely. Mm -hmm. She's just, you know, woman trying to like you know make a life for herself and get this sailor to commit damn it Um, Uh, it. and and it's very much uh the fred character chasing the ginger character and wearing her down so yay we get more of that there you go um good stuff so okay i was very interested in seeing ginger do a non uh dancing or you know not without Fred so I chose stage door for more of that uh show girls trying to get ahead in life <laughs> love it um, so good Catherine Hepburn's in it um mm-hmm. Lucille Ball young Lucille yep. Ball with brown hair and she's fantastic and I love love this like this it's called the footlights house and it's this like house where all these theater song and dance girls are living in this communal living, mm-hmm. all trying to find a part and it's tough times. And there's this creepy ass producer who like basically goes from girl to girl and is like, woos them and gets them parts, but you got to go have dinner with him. You know what I mean? And he's yeah. scuzzy. He's so scuzzy. And all I could think about is like Harvey Weinstein from the beginning yes. of time. Like it has always been that story and it's so yes. shitty. And justice now so good acting great acting excellent i really enjoyed um stage door and then because i wanted to keep with the 30s and why the hell not Mm -hmm. the wizard of oz the (laughs) biggest musical extravaganza and it's worth to just put up against some of the like the production value like what what you got in like 1933 even to 1939 like things just changed a lot yeah
2: Yeah. cool those are my picks okay so i like how you all picked your films i'm always interested in that i decided that i was going to pick a couple one if you want to carry on with the fred and ginger trope one of my favorites of theirs is swing time from 1936 I love the plot of Swing Time. I love most of the dances in it. The music is fantastic. So if you're just on a Fred and Ginger kick, I highly recommend that one. And then if you just want to look at something that kind of has the the rich being kind of ridiculous, (laughs) which if you were a depression era person and you were struggling and eating beans out of a can, maybe you were like, yeah, let's, let's watch them be a little more ridiculous. I have two suggestions one is my man Godfrey from 1936 with William Powell and um, Carol Lombard. And, There is such a crazy screwball plot to this movie. I couldn't begin to explain except that my my man Godfrey is about a forgotten man, Mm. a hobo, a homeless man who becomes a butler to a very (laughs) rich family in New York on Fifth Avenue. It is so well worth watching. And if you don't like black and white, it does come in a colorized version, too. Mm. So I would just say those two are my suggestions.
0: Oh okay, only two. Okay.
2: Well, I would say Palm Beach Story, but it is slightly outside of that kind of um time, historic time frame, but the okay. Palm Beach Story is also rich people being silly and <laughs> so it's Claudette Colbert and Joel McCrae and I love Joel McCrae and It's a when I say ridiculous plot, it really it's right in the pocket with uh, the craziest Fred and Ginger plot, which is why I thought of it. It's a Preston Sturges movie and it's really worth watching, too.
0: Nice. Nice. I'm glad to have all these new recommendations. Like I've seen My Man Godfrey, but I haven't seen the Palm Beach story and I haven't seen Stage Door. So, oh, yeah, those would be some good ones to Mm -hmm. check out. Yeah. So, yeah. So, my God, it was so fun talking about this movie with you, Poppy. So and fun. Sophia, like, just so love much fun. It. Poppy, can you remind everybody again where to find your excellent podcast
2: where you talk yeah. about
0: so many different topics in love and romance and popular culture?
2: <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, that's why I love talking to you all. Um, you can find me at dot com. Excellent. And
0: in terms of every rom-com, we have a lot more musicals coming in our series. We're going to be covering at least On the Town, Xanadu, Hairspray, and more. I'm I'm not going to say, I'm going to tell you different ones each time, and hopefully we'll do most of them, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And um, and just a reminder now, you can also donate to the podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast today or on another occasion, please consider um, going to our Buy Me a Coffee page. It's at www.buymeacoffee.com slash every rom And it really does help every little bit because there are mm-hmm. monthly costs and there are yearly costs uh, involved in running a podcast, which I do it out of love. Like we do it out of love, but like it really does help if we get a little bit of support. So if, if you're able, please help us out. And if you're not, send us a line at feedback at and let us know how you're enjoying the show. Anyway, thank you for listening, everybody. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye.